Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Brownie Points. I'm Dan. I'm Nick. And this is the podcast where a guy with a film degree and a guy who knows how to work a DVD player talk to you about movies. This week, Nick and I are only seeing one film in theaters this weekend, and it is the Shia LaBeouf film, The Peanut Butter Falcon. Then we're going to hop in the time machine and uh, head down to low A ball and go check in on Kevin Costner in Bull Durham. All of that on this week's episode of Brownie Points. All right, everybody, welcome to the show. As longtime listeners know, Nick and I don't jump right into the reviews. We like to talk about things that happened in the news or talk about some trailers, or give each other some ideas for lists of, like, favorite this or least favorite that in a segment that we are henceforth calling Brownie Bites. So, for this week's segment, we are going to do some more trailer talk. This week, the first trailer that we watched is the newest trailer, the second one, for Terminator Dark Fate that comes out this November uh, this is the, what, sixth film in the franchise? that sound right? Uh, sixth or seventh, but it's technically... It's technically retconning everything after two, so I think this is the third? Yeah, this is taking place after Thematically. two. Thematically? Yeah, or narratively, yeah, it's taking place after two, because, because of one franchise that I don't want to say out loud, because I know it's going to ruin a movie you haven't watched... Everybody likes to retcon now. Um, So in that spirit, uh, Sarah Connor is trying to help rescue this little girl who apparently the entire fate of humanity rests on her shoulders now because guess what? Sarah didn't technically save the world. She just delayed their fate. And... Their dark fate, if you will. Yeah, I... I'm going to give this movie a little bit of... Or this trailer a little bit of credit... Hiring, I'm not. hiring Tim Miller for the action was a good idea. The action set pieces don't look bad. Like honestly, like some of this little, some of the little snippets of the action we saw here and there honestly don't look badly staged. Like I feel like if anything, I will enjoy the action while everything about this story is driving me nuts. I yes, sequels usually are just derivative and just rehash the previous film before, but. Dude, Terminator is just, we're already, we've already beaten that horse into the ground, and this has now gone through the crater and is about to come up through China, like, and that, I guess that's more of a personal thing with me, like, just never being that big a fan of Terminator outside of the first one, I just, uh, nobody asked for this besides James Cameron, which is the case with a lot of James Cameron products, um, except- Stop making avatars. Well, stop making Terminators. I just, I, uh, the movie. Make original products, bro. Uh, he produced Alita, so I mean, I, well, Doc, we'll give him one point for that. But yeah, yeah, no one's asking for more Terminators. No one's asking for more Avatars. Like, I'm not, I'm not that excited for this film. I'm just, I'm cautiously optimistic that Tim Miller is going to direct some pretty well staged action. Which I mean, the trailer seems like it will, but. Outside of that, I don't, uh, I don't know. None of the acting looks that good. Again, the story just sounds really 
dumb and rehashed. I just, I don't know. I'm guessing you're not even looking forward to seeing the action in it. <laughs> not even remotely close. Um, this should be the movie. Like, I should be this movie's target audience. I love Arnold Schwarzenegger, and I, I like action movies. And I really like the Terminator movies to a certain point. I, I like one and two. Three is okay. Genesis is one of the biggest piles of garbage I've ever seen. What about uh, what about uh, Salvation? It was all right. Uh, I haven't seen that in forever, but Genesis is so dumb. Like, I enjoyed the action in it, but I, I actually rewatched it on TV recently. And I remember thinking it was like, at the time I saw it, I was like, that's a half pan. And then I rewatched it again, and I was like, that's a solid cook, sing, like single brownie, single cookie. I, I couldn't exactly tell. But um, the other thing that makes me mad is this trailer came out. I've got a cold or something, so my voice is really messed up. Um, so I can't do my Arnold, Arnold impression, so sorry. Um, <laughs> but, dude, just let this die. Just stop. Just it, the story doesn't need to go any further. Just let just leave it alone. Um, but it's one of those things where it almost seems like they're like, well, we have to give a good sequel because the last one was bad. So let's keep trying. No, by keeping up with trying, you're just making everything worse. Just stop. Just let it die. It was a good two movie series. It waited forever to start getting sequels after the first two, and they've all just not lived up to what the first two are. Um, I don't, I don't care. Like they're like, oh well, this one lady, she's a Terminator, but she's a human that's just improved. And then there's this one Terminator that can split into two Terminators. Cool, I don't care because Arnold Schwarzenegger is not playing one of the main Terminators. He's in this movie. He's clearly just playing like a guy that helps him train for a little bit in the movie. Because the only shots they're showing of Arnold in this movie are at that cabin and at that lake. I, I don't care. I like. Well, he's in the here's he's in the airplane in that very last shot where he shoots the Terminator in the face. That I will say that's the only part of the trailer I liked. It's because I laughed really hard just watching someone unload a full magazine of ammunition into the face of a robot. <laughs> that was really funny. Yeah, I <laughs> I want to laugh very briefly at the. Um... I'm a human, just enhanced. That ca- that line came off to me like... Um, that comes off like the Gemini thing of, you made a person out of another person. I was thinking like, more like... Um, like, dude, have you ever heard how uh, humans mate? I was thinking more of just like the Rick and... Uh, this line in, yes, it's a TV show, but in Rick and Morty, when Morty's just like, that's just slavery with extra steps. Like... <laughs> <laughs> I don't. I mean, it yeah. Doesn't... I am not looking forward to this at all. I, I'm. It's really hard for me to get like upset and angry at a trailer, and I, I'm not with this one. But it, it, it gets a very emotional, dude. Why out of me? Like, just let it die. Just leave it alone, please. Yeah, we keep getting more Terminator films, but we don't get. I'm just gonna get real personal. We don't. We we're not. We haven't gotten to Final Destination six, but we're getting another Terminator movie. Like, ugh. Yeah. Ugh. Like, the problem. The problem is that they can't get an actor to be a good Terminator because what's what's funny is 
Arnold's charisma worked for being an emotionless killer robot. So they're like, we need to get people that that can play emotionless killer robots, and none of them can. Or or they do it fine. The issue is they have no charisma, so they don't get hired on for anything more. Yeah. it's It wasn't broke, so there was no need to fix it, which is in contrast. I mean, and why, I agree what needs in, to be continued about the story, honestly? That's what I'm saying. It just keeps getting beaten into the ground. Like, I would agree, like, if the first film was bad, like, oh, you, you messed up the first time. Why not try again? But... You had two spectacular films at the beginning, and then, like you said, just waited forever, and then made a terrible sequel, and then made an even worse sequel, and and, and an even and worse now sequel. it's like, when did Terminator Three come out? Like oh three oh four. Yeah, it it's was, now twenty nineteen. Arnold was old back then. He's now too old to really do anything. His yeah. knees are shot. His hips hurt, and he's got such a big upper body it hurts him to do anything. Just. Like, dude, I get it. He works out, but that doesn't mean he's he can pull off, like, an action hero anymore. There's fit, and then there's action hero, you know, Greek god sculpted out of marble. He's not he's not that anymore. Just let this franchise die, because Arnold is the Terminator franchise. And, and if Arnold's not really working for it anymore, that franchise isn't working anymore. Just let it die. Yeah, I'm 100% with you on that. And technically, Sarah Connor is now a Disney princess, if you think about it, since the Fox merger. Oh, <laughs> just, Jesus. Just let that sink in. <laughs> uh, with that, um, the second trailer that Nick and I want to talk about is the final trailer before the release on October 4th of Joker. So, yes, this week we got the last trailer we're going to get before Joker comes out. And I can't help it. I'm so excited for this movie. I'm just letting you guys know up front. I always try to temper my expectations, but every now and then there's a film that I just can't help but be so, so excited for. Um, I put Joaquin Phoenix up there with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as... One of my favorite working actors right now. I love that he took on this role. I love what the makeup and costume department did for this Joker. Like, I love how this Joker, like, looks. I love that Todd Phillips, uh, who directed the uh, uh, the Hangover films, is just going completely out of his wheelhouse and making uh, a psychological, dramatic character study that's also going to be an awards contender, according to... Warner Brothers, excuse me, um, and uh, festival presidents that um, have seen the film already, like uh, the New York Film Festival in Venice. Um, it actually debuted uh, tomorrow. It's going to debut tomorrow at the uh, Venice Film Festival, so we'll get to see the early reviews um, over the next couple days. So hope going to come in. This is the most bizarre movie ever made. Yeah, which makes me now regret not not waiting a day to tape this segment. But anyway, uh, that's beside the point. We're going to be in St. Louis, dude. Chill. Yeah, oh, oh no, we're going to definitely talk about it. Just I wish we could talk about it on mic and just how much more excited I am because they're all going to be great. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I just, uh, I, don't, I, I have nothing else constructive to say other than just everything that I loved in the first trailer. This trailer just... 
made even better. It makes me feel more confident that this film is going to work. Uh, again, it's yes, it's a trailer. You shouldn't assume a movie's going to be good just because of the trailer, and I'm trying to remind myself that, but, ah, my God, I'm so excited for this movie, dude. I'm pretty excited. This trailer's pretty good. I like, I, I love the line of, you always ask if I'm having any negative thoughts. All I have are negative thoughts. I, I, I love that it shows you that his world is failing for him. Is is He's getting ridiculed on TV for his comedy stuff. His therapist isn't really working for him. He's getting beat up at his sign twirling job. The thing that I found interesting, it doesn't really incorporate his mother into this trailer as much as the teaser did. Yeah, it kind of substitutes her that for That dynamic a, is way dialed back and instead replaced with Robert De Niro. Well, and Zazie Beetz. So I wonder if his mom dies and he kind of like replaces his mom with Robert De Niro's character or something in the movie. Maybe. Zazie Beetz is in this trailer too and she wasn't in... Or no, she was in the teaser for like a shot and we get a lot of like her. Like there's clearly some romantic dynamic going on with... Yeah, she was in the teaser. She was in the teaser so little that I honestly thought it was just some random extra that they saw and, like, just chose to put in the trailer. Yeah. And then in this one, they they clearly show she is a she is going to have a decent-sized role. To the opposite of that, I'm surprised Brian Tyree Henry was not in this trailer because we saw him for a split second in the teaser, and it's funny because they're both on Atlanta, but clearly Zazie's going to have a bigger role than Brian unless they're kind of keeping him in the keeping him out of the spotlight for a surprise, like... Yeah. Um, but then, yeah, Robert, um, his role in this film really reminds me a lot of, um, the, the king of, uh, the king of comedy. Um, not so much, I mean, that character, that character was a psychopath trying to get on TV, so it's kind of a flip-flop where, um, yeah. in the king, I mean, have you seen the king of comedy? No. Oh, okay, it's, um... Robert's the psycho trying to get on TV to be a late night host. And here he's the late night host. And now Joker's coming on to his show. And hmm. I'm going to assume something really bad happens to that scene. I think it's safe to say something happens. Wouldn't you think? Um, yeah. Cause they, there's a clip of him outside of a theater. So I would think something about like something goes bad and then they walk outside the theater. Yeah, and he's in donning his full Joker makeup. Like, um, I mean, if you've already said on record, I mean, uh, I mean, do you like being the big Batman fan that you are? I mean, are you excited that this film is like straying away from any comic and just trying to do its own thing? Uh, excited is not the right word. I'm more intrigued. Um, I find it interesting that this movie really could have just been like just about a, a crazy guy that likes clowns but they they worked in a couple batman things um because in reality like this does not seem like the red hood story at all um it seems like it's very own true one-off joker story so yeah i i'm very intrigued by it it's not i'm not i wouldn't say excited is the right word but i'm very intrigued by it well, Todd Phillips was kind of low-key, like, talking about influences, but he's kind of owning more the fact that clearly Scorsese was a huge influence on this. Like, obviously all the allusions to 
King of Comedy, um, Taxi Driver very much had an influence on this film. Um, yeah. So, yeah, just kind of adding in Batman characters to one of Scorsese's, like, you fill in the blank, uh, dark, seedy, underbelly of New York stories. Um, yeah. I just, I don't know. I, and like I said, I got I got a very much, I think when we did the teaser trailer review, um, I, th- I said I got a... Uh, very much falling down vibe from it and this movie ramps it up because you can just see you know even even his therapist is failing him yeah i'm curious how much more often in the film we're gonna hear either that first laugh where he's clearly like well i i liked that laugh scene because it shows you know when I was in customer service, I would have times where I would want to scream at people, but I had to smile and give excellent service and the customer would never know. And I liked that scene cause it shows him laugh and it's, it's a very believable laugh. And then it shows his face and it looks like he's going to stab someone. Yeah. I like, I'm just thinking like his Joker laugh versus like near the end of the teaser where you can tell it's just him, like more natural. Like it sounds like him laughing. Like, I'm curious, I, I don't know, like, uh, I was thinking about the same thing when I first saw Suicide Squad, like, how often we're going to hear Jared Leto's Joker laugh, like, just because it's so iconic, like... And it, I don't think we did. I think he laughed, maybe, I, I think he chuckled a couple times in it, but... But no, hearing Joaquin laugh two very differently distinctive ways, like, I don't know, I feel like they may save, like, the big, like, money shot moments for, like, that higher-pitched joker laugh i think it'd be funny if in this movie they're like hey have you thought about getting tattoos he's like what am i gonna get the word damaged across my forehead that's really stupid oh my god just to poke fun at jared leto's joker for sucking i don't i don't want that i really don't i mean would you rather that or hayden christensen shows up in the episode nine of star wars i'd be much more okay with hayden christensen than giving any credence Blasphemy. to the existence. That's lies. You hate Hayden Christensen more than you hate the Seattle Seahawks. Whoa, hold on. We're, whoa, if we're, if we're doing a ranking, suicide... You hate Hayden Christensen more than I hate Chicago. I hate Suicide Squad more than Hayden Christensen. I'm putting that on record. <laughs> you replaced Hayden Christensen with Hayden Christensen. Sorry, I... You changed letters. No, Suicide Squad is such a worse movie than Hayden Christensen as an actor. If we're, I mean, it's <laughs> apples and oranges, but no, Suicide Squad was an unbearable thing to sit through. And I can watch the Star Wars prequels not named Attack of the Clones. <laughs> I can't wait for whenever we have to do that Time Machine review. Yeah. Just, just uh, us for 25 minutes. Just, it sucks! It sucks! It sucks! And then, like, 15 minutes of us praising, like, small, stupid things. And then 10 more minutes of, but this movie really sucks! Sand. I hate sand. <laughs> uh, okay, well, with that, we only have one more trailer that is worth talking about this week. And, and it it's is... a franchise that hates sand. Yeah. It's the, yeah, perfect segue, actually. Uh, the aforementioned sizzle reel of Star Wars Episode Nine uh, was not online when we were taping last week, but literally the next day it came out online. So Nick and I took a look at it. So, yeah. 
what I'll open the floor to you for this one because um, I feel like I might have a more slightly cynical take on this. Um, but let's see. <laughs> I what, highly what, doubt it. <laughs> what do you think? I have never had a Star Wars trailer come out that I have had less of a reaction to. Really? <laughs> Elaborate. Dude, I did not care. I watched that and I was like, half of this is recycled footage. The footage you use is great, but the tease of Ray turning to the Sith is obviously a Force vision. Um, also, it's been a week, so there's been a, a video going around talking about a VFX miss. Uh, the scene where Ray and Kylo are fighting on the piece of the Death Star, if you look in the reflection of one of the water puddles on there, you can see that they, for some reason, are CGIing in Kylo's cape, and they forgot it in that shot. Um, oh, I didn't I, even notice. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> I didn't notice that until the video pointed it out. But every time I see it now, that's all I see. But yeah, I. I... The thing that I, the things that I'm excited about are actually really tiny things in the background. Like I love that there's B wings in this. Um, we haven't seen those since Jedi. We haven't. Not only have we not seen those since Return of the Jedi, we only saw those in Return of the Jedi. Um, I'm excited for the Star Destroyers um, because they're the Imperial kind. Uh, they have a much more pronounced bridge and the two orbs for the shield generators on them. And I'm excited to see what that means because part of me thinks that means that the First Order is running out of their own ships, so they're starting to utilize old Empire technology to combat the First or to combat the Rebels. And the Rebels are using outdated tech for uh, the Rebels before. Um, but yeah, it's a two and a half minute trailer. A minute and fifteen to a minute and twenty seconds of which are is footage from old movies. It's still just another teaser trailer. It doesn't really tell us anything about the movie, and the biggest revelation is clearly a force vision. I, I mean, I the, there's stuff in it that's neat. I'm still really excited for this movie, but can I get an actual trailer, please? I'm tired of being teased. Like it was D23. I really thought we were going to get an actual trailer from D23, especially with this movie coming out at Christmas. Yeah, we're 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 100% on the same boat. Like, and that's why I keep calling this a sizzle reel because I mean, that's what they were calling it and like that's exactly what it is. This came directly from the export of the machine itself. Like, this was clearly just like a high school uh uh prep rally video. Like, a little highlight reel of, like, the older films to build up the nostalgia and then just money shot after money shot after money shot and, like, little things to just make us freak out and overanalyze, like, what? See, C-3PO's got, he's got red eyes! He's got red eyes! Like, oh my god, like, let's, I, I'm not gonna read into this, like, whatever. They had to sell a new action figure of 3PO, man. J exactly. Like, uh... J.J. Abrams, I'm not going to read into any of these shots and assume any one thing about anything. Like, I'm not going to assume that it was a Force vision. I wouldn't be surprised if Rey with the light, the red lightsaber was, but I never want to assume anything her with J.J. Abrams. Like, something about her face looks like the uh, Luke Skywalker Darth Vader from uh, uh, Dagobah. The, say that again? 
her face, like the look in her eyes and the expression they have on her face, just it looks so much like the Luke Skywalker Darth Vader from Dagobah scene from Empire Strikes Back. It's it's some kind of vision. There's no way that's actually happening in the movie. And oh. also, that's too big of a twist to give away in a teaser trailer. Well, it technically didn't, like, it's just a shot, like an un- uncontextualized shot. So Yeah, but everyone everyone knows red lightsabers means bad people. Well, yeah, that's what's so shocking about it. Like, that's what I mean. Like, all this trailer has is just shot after shot of just, like, little things to make all of us freak out on the internet and talk about it, which we are talking about it now on the internet, so Disney for the win. Like, but <laughs> I... Literally the same thing you were just saying. I'm still excited stop, for the stop movie. Stop making these trailers. Get Spider-Man. Yeah. <laughs> I'm still excited for the movie. I'm tired of teaser trailers. Like, teaser trailers are very much my least favorite trailer, uh, except in the case of Joker. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I just, yeah, I don't really have anything to say other than uh, rest yeah, in peace. Yeah, like I said, I've I've never felt so underwhelmed from a Star Wars trailer in my life. Yeah, I just... Like I said, it just came out of the Disney machine, like, just to hype people. Like, it's definitely not a traditional trailer, so we shouldn't call it that. It's the D23 sizzle reel, and uh, rest in peace Carrie Fisher, because this will be her last film. And it'll be interesting to see how they incorporate her, really. Um, And her daughter... give me a real freaking trailer. Yeah, her daughter's in this, too, so, I mean, mean, we'll see. They may not do much with... uh, uh... Oh, I already forgot her name. Uh, sorry, I'm not gonna. Bryce make... Dallas Howard. No, no, that's Ron Howard. Um, <laughs> uh, it's yeah, not worth it. I'm not gonna belabor that. Um, but yeah, with that, that is the end of our trailer talk and the newly titled again, uh, Brownie Bites. So we're gonna take a very brief break and then we're gonna talk about the only film that Nick and I saw in theaters this weekend, The Peanut Butter Falcon. We'll be right back. All right, everybody. The only film that Nick and I went and saw in theaters this week is the heartwarming independent film, The Peanut Butter Falcon. This film is directed by Tyler Nelson and Michael Schwartz. Uh, It's also written by these two as well. And the film stars... Mr. Shia LaBeouf, Dakota Johnson, John Hawks, Thomas Hayden Church, Bruce Dern, uh, a small supporting role from John Barenthal. Um, I actually can't remember if he actually even had lines in this film. Uh, <laughs> he does very few, but he does. Yeah, for like the 10 minutes, of, or not even 10 minutes of screen time he has. Um, it's more like a minute and a half of screen time he has. Yeah. Um, and then the debut performance of Zach. Uh, Got Sagan. Uh, yes, I did look up a video on how to pronounce his last name. Uh, <laughs> and, you had to look up a video on how to pronounce a name? Uh, I did this time because I didn't want to butcher it. And you know, I, dude, I, I butcher so many names on this show. Um, you butcher mine. What? No, never, never. Yeah, you do. Maybe once. <laughs> My name's been Steve this entire time. What? <laughs> <laughs> Inception bomb. Yeah. <laughs> um... But yeah, that's uh, that rounds out the cast for this film. Uh, again, we saw the Peanut Butter Falcon. Uh, it debuted at the South by Southwest Film Festival uh, earlier this year, even though it was shot back in the summer of 2017. 
Uh, it just took a little while to come out to theaters, but uh, hopefully it's been making the rounds uh, to a theater near you uh, because this movie's great. I, I really, really love this movie. Um, my spoiler-free thoughts on it, I mean, uh, like I said, this was such a sweet, really just a, just such a heartwarming movie. Um, I love the whole aspect of this being like a modern-day uh, Huckleberry Finn retelling through um, these two characters. Um, I love that Zach, um, was given this opportunity to be in the lead role. Um, because I mean, if you don't know any, anything about this movie, didn't research anything beforehand, uh, he has Down syndrome, um, in real life. It's not an act. So, uh, just the, the representation this provides, uh, for actors with disabilities, um, I think was, I think it was a great move for this director or for these directors to give him this opportunity. And I thought he really shined. I, I, I do see some genuine talent with him. He was really great in the lead role. Uh, Shia LaBeouf, uh, if I hadn't said before on mic, I, I'll say it now. Shia LaBeouf is more than the Transformer films and even Stevens. Uh, and the do it guy. The, oh yeah. The, the meme, the just do it. Do it. <laughs> Don't let your dreams be dreams. <laughs> Don't let your dreams be dreams. <laughs> Just do it. Um, Am I getting through to you, audience? <laughs> He's uh, whatever you think of him outside of uh, outside of the screen or even on the screen. Uh, when he's been in these little independent roles, he's he really is a phenomenal actor, and he is phenomenal in this role. Uh, same with Dakota Johnson. Dakota Johnson is so much more than Fifty Shades of Grey in that trilogy. She's got some great acting chops to her. She. Uh, oh my God, is that who that was? Yeah, that was Anastasia Steele. Um, huh. <laughs> or whatever her name was. Um, but no, she's phenomenal too. I just watched her... Um, uh, it was earlier this year on HBO. I watched her uh, uh, in the, uh, the the El Royale, the Bad Times at El Royale. Uh, she was fantastic in that. And she's great in this role, too. Uh, Bruce Dern uh, from Nebraska and The Hateful Eight, he was great in his little supporting role. Uh, like I said, John Barenthal, I mean, he's in it. I, that's the most I can say, he's in it. Um, <laughs> and then John Hawks, you'll, uh, you may remember from uh, uh, Winter's Bone, um, and he's had a lot of little random roles here and there. Uh, he was in Eastbound and Down, uh, and he was great too as that villain. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of other things to say that don't really go into spoilers. Like, uh, just, I don't know. I, it, you just can't help but get <laughs> infected with just this warmth from the chemistry that Zach and Shia have together. It's, it's such a, not, thrill's not the right word, but, uh, it's just so it's so sweet and it comes off so genuine like this kind of like big brother little brother relationship that they have while uh shia's got his own demons that he's dealing with while on this uh boat trip because road trip wouldn't be the right word for it um uh while zach is uh trying to chase his own dreams because uh he through means that don't matter how he got there uh, he's just uh, he's been court sentenced to live out his life in this retirement home because he doesn't have a family. So seeing him yeah, break they, out and chase his dreams say, that way, but yeah. I was gonna say they say in the movie that it's because the court ruled that his family was not able to provide for him. But the way they say it and the way he reacts to his family sounds like they really just went, uh, we just don't even want to try and gave up on him. Is what it is what it came across as. 
Yeah, I mean, they don't really go too deep in the semantics of it, which is better for the film. It's because that, that, I mean, yeah. you get the you get the taste of it, and you get the understanding of something was just not something was just not right with the family situation. So he ends up getting the short end of the stick. He ends up being on his own, and uh, Dakota Johnson's just kind of the desk pusher. She's just like. She ends up coming to understand and like really just. Uh, I don't know. She really, she really comes across as like the as the first person who genuinely cares about him. Well, yeah, that's the but thing. The like, issue, but the issue, but the issue is she's, her and Shia LaBeouf have uh, similar. I want to say similar wants for him, but I I don't I don't really think they do. I think Shia LaBeouf wants him to live his life, and I think she just wants him to be happy in the situation he's placed. And but I, they they want him to be happy in the end, really. Yeah. But she's she ha- um, she has to put up the front of the company woman, while at the same time she does know deep down. Well, not not that, only does she have to put up the front of company woman, she also has to she also has to take care of him because she works for the company that has been legally entrusted for the for the well being of this person, and if they fail, there can be legal ramifications on her. Yeah, exactly. Because yeah. It, because it's an assisted living situation. It's not like the, it's it's not like oh hey they agreed to live together. No, the law said that they're responsible, and she's kind of like his head. Uh, I want to say case manager, but that's not the right word because she's like it, it. It's not a situation where like well she's she's, she's just a caretaker. She's changing. She she says she has to like change people's diapers and she has to help them do a bunch of things. She doesn't really have to do that with him. She just has to get through to his mind. Yeah, she's just got to take care of his general well-being prob- well, for obviously like three, yeah. four times as long as the average uh, person there. <laughs> like, yeah. especially given that like Bruce Dern is what, late 80s? Like, she's, yeah. it's a retirement community. But I mean, she at least is aware like deep down that like, I mean, we can, we can get into the ending later. Um, I mean, I'll, uh, what do you, I'll let you give your spoiler free, thought, free thoughts before we get What's into your rating? it. Uh, I'm giving this Sprinkles, man. I really love this movie. I thought it was just so sweet and so moving. Like, uh, little little feel-good tropes aside, I mean, it just works so well. The chemistry of this cast and this whole ensemble is so good. Uh, I love the locations that they shot on, um, which actually were Georgia and not uh, the the outskirts of uh, whichever uh, North Carolina, wasn't it? North the, Carolina. The Outer Banks of Car- North Carolina. Which yeah. it, it's funny. I mean, which well, which threw me off because they were talking about it's in North Carolina. You said they shot in Georgia, and then Shia LaBeouf's boss at the beginning of the movie is a Cajun man. So I thought it was Louisiana. I thought it was Louisiana too, but he was wearing that hat that said Outer Banks, and I'm just like, where on earth is this in Louisiana? Well, but then yeah, well, they, I saw that, and I thought it was a hat for Alaska. I thought it was like the Outer Banks of Alaska. Well, luckily they had that big map eventually, yeah. and it said North Carolina in the corner. But it was only at that point, like what, well, like half hour in, I was like. Oh, this is North Carolina. Like that yeah. makes sense. Like, and then they're just so, yeah. I, I so I'm giving our, it sprinkles. I love this movie. So our scale, uh, single cookie, complete crap. Uh, single brownie, almost complete crap, but there's something redeeming about it. Half pan, so so. Full pan is almost perfectly enjoyable. Um, there's some things that are missing from it, and brownie pan, a uh, full pan with sprinkles is perfect. Movie has everything we want. Um, I have had such a hard time figuring out a rating for this movie. Um, we actually saw this movie about a week and a half ago, um, on our, on our Labor Day trip. 
this was the second movie for the show that Dana and I were actually able to see see together. Uh, we we took our road trip to St. Louis, so that's why this one's delayed. Um, I've had such a hard time coming up with a rating for it because I everything in me is screaming to give it sprinkles, but there are a couple big thi- a couple things that for other movies, if I saw this happen in another movie that was slightly worse than this, not even by much, like just slightly worse than this, I'd give it a full pan. The biggest problem I had with the movie was I never understood why Shia LaBeouf was messing with those, with those two guys and their fishing or their crabbing company. It just, it never made sense to me. Well, Um, well, the thing, well, I mean, I, I, I think I have the answer, but I'll let you finish your thoughts. Um, and then the thing with the shotgun, there's a couple times where they actually fire the shotgun. Um, I don't know if you've ever fired a shotgun. They kick a lot. Well, I mean, maybe not a lot, but they, they do, they will kick. They fire the shotgun and they don't even move it. It doesn't even look like they pulled the trigger. You just hear a bang sound effect and he, uh, cycles, he pumps a round out. So that happened a couple times. That was really distracting to me. But the, the the main thing that was really, really distracting to me, I never understood why he was messing with those two guys. Well, he let's well, kind of it's kind of getting into spoiler territory. I mean, um, do you have any other thoughts on it before like we really get more into the story than we already did? Um, okay. Let's get into spoiler territory and then I'll give my rating. For the for those guys, it's between a full pan and a full pan with sprinkles, and I kind of want to hear what Dan's about to say for for me to give my official rating. Yeah. So but it's still sorry, a, but I can't give my official rating. It's a it's a great movie. I thoroughly enjoyed watching this. Um, we actually got in the theater right as the uh, production logos came on, and I'm so glad we didn't miss a second. Yeah, same. I'm I'm very happy we we ended up getting there when we did. Um, but yeah, no, I I'm glad I'm we saw it. this and not don't let go. <laughs> Yeah, sorry again for the last second audible on that. Uh, it just, I mean, we, yeah, it was, it's a whole thing. It's not worth. A lot of things into. happened. A lot of things have happened for for us in the last two weeks at the last minute. Yeah, it's uh, it's not, it's, yeah, that movie will probably be in purgatory too forever. I doubt we'll see it for the show. But that anyway, that's not peanut butter falcon. Yeah, um, yeah go see it. It's uh, it's doing its little. It's kind of doing like a rotating. Um, it a lot of indie films do this where they only open in so many theaters but they'll rotate around so it's never like expanded wide release but eventually say yeah. these 600 prints will go to x amount of theaters over a couple months so if it's playing near you near you definitely go see it it's a great film uh, and yeah from here on out we're going to be talking about spoilers so uh shia to me was messing with those guys because um he and his brother John Barenthal were working for this fishing company, but then when he killed his, well, accidentally killed his brother falling asleep at the wheel, he had the license and not Shia. So those guys ended up taking that license and, uh, they, they didn't make that very clear then. I mean, that's, that's fine if in the movie they do say it, but they didn't do a very good job of making that very clear. Cause I remember, I remember the license thing pretty clearly, but man, I the entire time we were watching that movie, I did, I I couldn't get that they worked for him, ever. 
It was, I mean, it wasn't like, it was more like you had to like take more of the visual cues, I guess. But like, so, I, do, I do remember, I do remember John Hawk specifically saying that like, I have the 12th license that's allowed every season. It's not your brother's anymore. If we catch you out in this water again, we're going to beat the tar out of you. Whatever. I, well, that's, but that's what I mean. That's what I remember about the license. I, I remember them mentioning his brother's license. And I, I took that to mean that, you know, him and his brother had like their own really small podunk fishing business. And then his brother died. And for some reason, Shia LaBeouf wasn't able to get licensed, whether he didn't pass a certain class or didn't have a certain boating license to go along with the fishing license um, or some, something. I, I, I didn't take that to, I didn't take that to mean something else. So it's just, you know, I, I feel more comfortable saying this movie is a full pan just because that's such a big part of the movie and for it not to have been made very clear to me, I'm willing to dock it. It, I'm sad to say that it takes away from the movie, but there, there were large chunks of times where I was just sitting there like, why why is he messing with them? I never, I could never understand why he was messing with them. Well, he so, was, it's, it was more or less like a territory beef, just like a yeah. professional territory beef. And I mean, I, I got, I got that, but I, I didn't understand his motivation to mess with them. I got, I got after, I got after like the first time they show it, I get why it's retaliatory of they retaliate back to him more severely. So he gets mad and has a more severe retaliation to them and it just goes back and forth and back and forth and back and forth until the climax where he's hitting the head with a tire iron yeah um, which makes sense because he literally set twelve thousand dollars worth of fishing equipment on fire <laughs> yeah so i'm i'm comfortable giving it you know just a pan um but it's it's not a terrible movie for it like it's really enjoyable. Zach and uh, Shy have incredible chemistry. Yeah, what do you, um, what do you I, I think more about them? I don't know. The best way I know how to kind of like appropriate it, um, I don't know the name of the guy, but do you remember when uh, Johnny Knoxville did that movie about the Special Olympics? Oh, The Ringer, yeah. The- yes. And then, and then um, the... Uh, one of the guys in the movie that was had Down syndrome, kind of, kind of the head, like the main got main actor of those guys. Yeah. Him and Johnny Knoxville became really good friends. They still do a ton of stuff together. Um, it reminded me a lot of that. I mean, their their chemistry just screams, "We're best friends off screen." Um, and I I did like in the beginning when Shia LaBeouf uh at first wasn't very open to him. I bought it like. Shia LaBeouf, you know, you see a lot of, like, adopted brother movie or adopted sibling movie type things where it's like, you know, he, they're strangers slash, like, slight friends, but they become basically brothers through this thing. And you see it where, like, the brother's more sympathetic. Shia LaBeouf is, you know, uh, very hard knocks type brother uh, when he's like, hey, we're going to, we're going to walk and, uh they get to the river and he's like, well, we could, he's trying to come up with all the reasons to go around there. And he's like, no, it's not realistic. You're going to have to learn how to swim. And he goes, I'm not going to expect you to understand how to do the hundred meter breaststroke. So I'm going to make basically a flotation device for you, but you're going to have to kick like that. That's a very, that is a very, very appropriate brother response to that. Um, the, 
uh, scene where he helps him book, uh, helps him come up with his wrestler persona. Again, it's one of those things where it's like, you know, I, I'm, I want you to understand and, and reach your dream, but at the same time, uh, you know, I, I, I don't fully, you could tell he didn't fully believe in it, but at the same time, it's like, hey, this is what you're excited and serious about. Let's get excited and serious about it. Let's, let's try and come up with a way to make this a reality. What's, that's part of the beauty of this film is that, like, yeah, he. I mean, he treats him apprehensively at the start, just because. I mean, yeah, he's a stowaway, he's a stranger. Like, but he, where the but heck he doesn't did he come treat him, from? He doesn't treat him apprehensively because of his condition. He just treats him apprehensively because he doesn't want someone like weighing him down. Well, yeah, he's it's, on. He's, he's on a, the. He's on the run for messing with those guys. He's. He doesn't want someone holding him back just because it's it's extra weight. Yeah, so he's. That's what I'm saying. It's not, it, yeah. He's a. He was a stowaway, but then. As progressively they get to know each other again, like like you were saying, and I keep saying, it's very believable how this relationship progresses progresses into them caring about each other, and then Shia also realizing that like he's so he's so much in such more trouble on his own, like literally like when <laughs> you can surmise it with when they're at the gas station and he's just like, hey, do you have any money? And he and, he, and Zach's just sitting there in his underwear and he's just like, no, I don't have any money. I don't even have pockets. Like, <laughs> I love that line. God, that was. I like. I like that. that so like, shy. Like, shy doesn't even give him all the clothes. At, at, like in one time. At first, he's like, "All right, well, here's a shirt." Uh, just because you like, I think it's something so that he doesn't get sunburned or something. It's yeah. Like, here's a shirt, and then the, and then it's like another like five to ten minutes. They get they get to the gas station, and he goes, "I don't I don't have money. I don't even have pockets." And he goes. You don't even have pockets. Here's some pockets, and he gives them some pants. And then they keep walking, and finally he's he's like, "Man, you're slowing me down. Like, you gotta have something to protect your feet on, so you don't slow me down." So then he gives them boots that are just hanging on his backpack. Yeah, they're rain boots. Like they're he's not, not even, even using them. They're just rain boots too. Like, I, uh, yeah, they're 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 swamp mucking boots. Really? Is that what um, is is that is that a real word mucking? Yeah, dude, I used to, uh, I used to own a pair of muck boots, but I don't really go out to the barn as with my sister for a horse as much as I used to, so I just gave them to her. I did. I know, dude. Like, no, I know they I know those are real boots. I just didn't know that was the real word mucking. I've never heard that. Oh word. yeah, dude, muck, muck, yeah, muck boots. And then uh, <laughs> usually, usually they have. Uh, uh, you'll see a lot of them have like hip waders. Uh, like not so like a t- like they're usually attached to them. They're just one giant thing. Um, usually you don't see him that low when it's, when it's a fisherman. Okay. One more, one more side note about that real quick. Um, I've, I've in my running history, uh, when I was a runner in high school, I've run through my fair share of cornfields a couple times and I can't imagine how painful that must've felt every couple steps, like yeah. barefoot dude, like I yeah. I've I mean going through them on my shoes like how ev- uneven that is and like uh, rotted old pieces of like stock that like fell into the soil or like uh, well, just the, or, rot- the other or just thing rocks too, and because random it's, things. Yeah. It's such a humid area and the time of days that it shows them walking a lot. It shows them a lot of times early in the morning and then late at night when dew is kind of or late in the day. There's a lot of dew. So walking through a cornfield with, you know, your bare skin exposed while the corn stalks are wet, those leaves are like knives. Oh, for on sure. On corn stalks. Oh, yeah. So I'm amazed that they didn't get cut up a bunch. 
Yeah, like, I'm just worried about blistering on his feet, but yeah, they all could have, like, sliced their arms, and he could have sliced his thighs or something up, like... Yeah. Uh, but yeah, not to get too hung up on that. Um, the, uh... Look at us, two Midwesterners talking about corn. Yeah, from the state known for corn and soybeans. Um, <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Was that a was that an allusion to us going to watch the de- uh, the deliverance later? <laughs> no, that's a banjo solo from Nicholas Cage. <laughs> um, so, um, as they get further on in the journey, um, they don't have the boat initially. Like, um, um, my memory's a little faded on me. I'm trying to remember. They, like, they start they start out with a boat, and then right they did they, they did realize they're the, gonna get tracked. So Shia LaBeouf sinks it, like I said, with where he shoots it with with the shotgun, and it doesn't kick. Oh right, that because they because later they get the raft. I'm glad you're not docking the movie for real, like for just prop gun like mechanics. yeah i'm not i'm not gonna dock at a whole thing i'm just saying like that stuck out to me the the one thing where i couldn't figure out the one thing i was like you know that that's a that's a genuine good criticism of the movie that it didn't make me understand that but yeah dude i'm not gonna i'm not gonna rip this movie to shreds for just like the gun not working like it's only it's only fired like four times five times maybe if we have a, if it, we have a bingo- when, it, when it is fired it's like dude the gun should kick and you didn't even move if we make a bingo card, one of the squares should be Nick finds something wrong with prop weapons. <laughs> Dude, if we had bingo cards for this, people would win bingo within the first five minutes because we hit every trope. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so they um, remind me if they, uh, how many scenes I may be skipping here. But um, I want to talk about um, when they find the uh, – I don't – it never says that if he was a pastor or not, but the blind guy they find out in the woods – <laughs> I love, I love when he, when he's like, I'm a blind man with a gun. And they just kind of stare at him and then he, and he shoots right by Shy's head and they're like, there's two of us. Like, dude, it's a blind man with a gun. Just say you're there. Yo, when, uh, when I love when he's just like, who, who are you? How many people are you? And then Zach's the one that's just like, we're two white guys. Like, <laughs> yeah. I lo- and then I like the response. Are you God fearing? They're just like, uh, sure. <laughs> you, I remember, I remember you whispered over to me when that happened, when because he was starting to talk about God there, and you're just like, oh my God, are, is he gonna baptize them? And then literally, yeah. like, literally a second after, they're in the water, and the the two of them, are, and Zach and uh, Tyler, are just looking at each other, just like, uh, are we actually gonna do this? Like, <laughs> yeah. I remember, I remember that. I remember cracking a lot of really weird jokes with you about that because there's a lot of times where it can if. It can set up some pretty good jokes. So this is actually a good movie to watch with a friend if you want to kind of make sarcastic comments throughout it too. But um, you're not invited yeah, to my birthday over party. To Dan, I was, and I just went. I think I went. Jesus Christ, man, keep it in church. What are you gonna do? Baptize them? And then like scene transitions, and the next thing is them waiting to get baptized. And I was like, oh, okay, I guess he is. Yeah, that was I. I kind of love that scene that like that was all they needed to do to get his blessing to actually like take all his stuff like to make that. I, I, I liked the other thing I liked too is he goes, you can have anything you want except for the boat. So then he helps them build a raft like just let him have the boat, man. Well, he just shot a hole through it, too. Oh, yeah, he did. I forgot about that. Yeah, because he, was, he could, excuse me, because he was firing at them while they were trying to originally take it. <laughs> yeah, forgot about that, but. Yeah, they uh, so they build a raft, and this is like I think I said to Dan, 
like slightly earlier in the movie. I think I said to Dan something about like, hey man, this is just a a, a, a slightly changed version of Huckleberry Finn. And then they get on the raft and start going down the river. And I was like, oh my god, are you really? I'm gonna stop predicting things in this movie before they start happening. The Huck Finn thing. Well, that was that was supposed to be known before going in. Like that wasn't supposed to be a secret about the Huck Finn. No, references. no, I discovered it. I win. <laughs> You figured out what marketing was already supposed to be telling you. <laughs> I only, dude, the only time I saw a trailer for this was when uh, we were trying to figure out what movies to see after I said, hey, I am actually not getting let go in Lafayette, even though we saw this movie in O'Fallon, Illinois. Um, shout out to whatever theater chain we saw it at. I don't remember the name. Um, but I told Dan, I was like, hey, man, I'm, I'm not getting, uh, I'm not getting let, don't let go. And, uh, Dan's, I was like, I don't know what else we could see. And I sent Dan some screenshots and stuff. And he was like, ooh, Peanut Butter Falcon. I was like, what's that? And then I watched the trailer. So I didn't see the trailer for this movie until four days before we saw this movie. And that was the only time I saw this trailer. Yeah, I mean, I didn't. I never saw it in a theater either. Like, I did see it online um, around when South by Southwest, or not too long after South by happened. But um, So I was aware of it, but I never saw it in theaters Um I saw the Don't Let Go trailer way more. Like, uh, yeah, yeah, me too. And the funny thing is, I only saw it two weeks before we went before we were supposed to go see it in the theater. Well, that's kind of like um, what in two weeks now uh, we're gonna see Rambo: Last Blood, and we just saw that trailer like the week before our trip. <laughs> like, <laughs> but dude, they're gonna take their horse down to the Old Town Road, and then they're gonna ride till they can't no more because apparently Rambo needs to be associated with that damn song. Well, the other trailer is a lot more like traditional, like he's great with knives. He's yeah, great the with non guns. the non teaser trailer actually is pretty gritty and interesting. Yeah, but we'll I mean we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, but uh, <laughs> or or we can swim across the river because there is no bridge. Yeah, as long as we don't get hit by a fisher boat, like. <laughs> Dude, that scene was so intense. I even I was like 90 percent sure as soon as that boat showed up, I was like, okay, they're not gonna actually hit him with it because he'll die but like that scene was so intense yeah i i love that scene too like like at the end like i was just laughing it's just like what on earth does that happen like they almost just died from a getting run over by a boat like <laughs> but it didn't have some good okay. tension to it i remember something else i said to you during this movie i leaned over to you and i was like they would have so much chafing because they are constantly walking uh, walking through rivers, uh, swimming and, and then putting their clothes right back on. And they're just walking in like the, the heat of North Carolina in the middle of the summer. And I just remember leaning over to Dan. I was like, they would be chafing so much because they're constantly wet. Oh my God. I can't even imagine like, uh, the swampiness, let's say going down, going down there. Like, yeah, man, like. They they had to have some talcum powder deals for the filming of this movie. I I, I hope so. Um, let's um let, let's talk about um. No, let's they... focus on the chafing. Oh, let's not. No. <laughs> let's talk about when they when the actual title of the film comes up because we haven't really talked about this yet. Like, uh, the reason that or one of the reasons that uh, Zach breaks out of the retirement home is because he wants to become a pro wrestler and he uh. It, he wants to go to this wrestling school run by uh, Thomas Hayden Church's character, 
Um, oh, I just, I thought I had the name the up here. Something redneck. Oh, the uh, the saltwater redneck. Yeah. I kept wanting to say the Riviera redneck. I was like, I know it's not Riviera. Yeah, <laughs> but no, like uh, in the retirement home, and we, he was just watching all those video cassette tapes, those old video cassette tapes of. Uh, no, no, no. He wasn't watching all those old video cassette tapes. He was watching this one video cassette tape. Right. The, so <laughs> much that the one guy's like, I guarantee you, this is the sixth time we've seen this today. Yeah. So, and he he knows that it's not that far away, or, or well, Shia confirms that's not that far away. So that's why he agrees to let Zach join in on him while he himself is trying to go down to uh, Jupiter, Florida, which, oh my God, good luck if you're riding that raft all the way from North Carolina to Florida, dude. Like, <laughs> more power yeah. to you. Um, but no, like, uh, again, where the title comes in, though, uh, The Peanut Butter Falcon, was probably my favorite scene in the movie where uh, they kind of just set up camp and they're drinking this uh, prob- what homemade whiskey, probably, or moonshine. I think so. Mo- the moonshine I've seen is clear okay so, so it's probably just i don't know what that was supposed to be other than either whiskey based on where they're at or maybe rum based on the color maybe bathtub whiskey yeah maybe yeah someone's house ex- house someone's house exploded making it well it was, <laughs> it was from the... well, dude, dude the guy the guy that gave it to him i, I just loved when he gave it to him because uh shy goes into this one store and he's, he's trying to get all these things and they don't have much money and he's like well your total is like 13 bucks and he goes oh crap I, I don't have that much and he starts like what if we take this off and what if we take this off and he, he gets it way way down and the only thing he can get is peanut butter and i can't remember what else but there's something else he's able to get and then the uh the guy go uh, the guy's all nervous and shy looks at him and goes i'm sorry man i'm just not used to negotiating with people uh that are armed and Shire doesn't realize he has this shotgun slung over his shoulder. He's like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. He oh takes it and sits it on the ground. And then the guy hilarious. goes, no problem. And he goes, no problem. And then he throws in the alcohol for free, and he just goes, here, you look like you need it more than me. Yeah. I mean, he takes one swig for the road, and then he gives the rest to Shia. But, yeah, oh, my God, I, I can't believe I almost forgot that scene with the shotgun. That was so funny. And that's and that's the scene where Shy meets uh, Zach's caretaker and also learns that Zach is on the run. So it's a pretty big scene too. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Because that's when that's when Shy starts having a love interest in the caretaker. Almost immediately starts hitting on her. Yeah, is... I was say kind of abruptly. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was that was one thing where I was like, eh, okay, I don't think it needs a love story, but all right. Yeah. Um, but anyway, so they're hanging out back to where we were going. Uh, they're hanging out at the camp at this campfire, getting drunk, and. It, it was just so sweet, like, him just talking, tr- uh, Shia talking to Zach about his dream and, like, okay, well, if you want to be a wrestler, you got to have an awesome name. And then they just assemble these branches, like, in, what was it, duct tape? He actually had duct tape on him. And they make these fake... Uh, yeah, I think so, yeah. And then they make these fake wings, and he's just, but like... I think they got, the, they got the duct tape from the blind guy, I think. Okay. Yeah, like they just duct tape it and they put him on him yeah. and, it, and then Shia's just like, Falcon, you're going to be the Falcon. And then Zach's yeah. like, no. And he grabs the peanut butter and rubs it on his face. And like, it's funny, but it's also just like, I don't know, I thought it was just really cool. Like I, This is, this is the is scene like, I was talking about earlier where it's like, Shy kind of, you can tell he doesn't 100% like love the wrestling thing, but he's like, all right, well, you're my brother and this is what you're excited about and this is what you love, so let's get excited and, and love it and let's figure out how to make it a viable viable thing. Yeah, he's just encouraging him, like, 
it's his dream and there and who is it to him or who is he to say that he shouldn't be allowed to chase this dream so he's just being the supportive brother in any way that he can and like when and then when Zach's just like no I'm the peanut butter falcon and like I, I just love that just them getting drunk and like you're the peanut butter falcon like I I love that part that was probably my favorite part of the movie the scene the I think the scene between the two of them that I liked the most was actually really early on in the movie um, was the one where after Shy has tried to ditch him, uh, Shy goes and gets in this guy's car or in his truck, and then the guy's telling him, "Hey, there's a fire down at the docks, and they got police waiting on the one waiting at the one road of out of town looking for the guy that did it." And Shy gets out of the guy's truck, and he goes he goes back to where he left Zach off at, and he sees that there's this one kid um who's trying to get him to dive into the water and he and zach actually told shy earlier he's like hey can you help me i can't swim and so shy's like hey leave him alone he can't swim and the guy and the guy's just like yelling at him. he's like he kept saying a word that in modern society is not acceptable to say so i'm not going to say it here um but he's like come on man go swim 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 and he shoves shoves the guy off and shy for a complete stranger that he just met you know, his character is a decent enough human being to just re- to realize that the guy's being, you know, misjudged by everybody, runs up the stairs and punches the kid in the face and then dives in and saves Zach. I love that scene. I thought it was a great scene. That was. I, I love that. Also, too. this movie had the right amount of child violence. I don't remember. What was the movie that we saw the week before? Uh, oh, that, uh, what movie did we watch where I kept saying they should have like hit the kid in the face? Oh, I thought you were talking about Ready or Not, where uh, uh, Samara decked that kid in the face. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I remember saying that I was like, yeah, they should have like picked decked him in the face and then picked him up and thrown him in the pit of the dead bodies. And you're like, that's a little excessive. This movie listened to my review of that movie and was like, we're gonna punch a kid in the face. Yeah, we've <laughs> two weeks in a row now. We've had a movie where a kid gets punched in the face. <laughs> let's see how let's see if that trend will go longer than um what was it that one actor in triple frontier and death sentence like how many weeks in a row we got that guy <laughs> oh jeez. <laughs> uh but anyway like after that that's when dakota finds them just on a whim just coincidentally she happens to stumble upon where they are um, well she what she did something where she was basically i don't know I don't think she found out. I think she was just like, make, she like figured this out. She's like, the only way he can go, she's like, I know he wants to go to the school and the only way he can get there is if he just walks south. So he must be walking south. Well, just so for... she, so she just starts driving this one, driving the one direction that he could go to get to the school. And she just kind of finds them. Yeah. Just through plot convenience. Like she always happens to stumble upon the place that like, that they were just at. I just missed them. Like, not to make a big complaint out of that. But like, well, they're also being tracked by the uh, by the two guys that hate the brother. Yeah, but I mean, at least you have that level of believability where, like, they could understand, like, oh, he loves the water. He's probably traveling by water. Like, at and least... they're also they're also like fishermen, and they're used to tracking things to get their results. So it makes sense that they would be able to track a human down to bludgeon him with a tire iron. Yeah, exactly. So, like, they find each other, but then she ends up more or less just, like, joining them because Shia has a great <laughs> monologue about... Um, no, no, it's not because of that. Well, he wants, to, he wants to 
he wants to get with her, but... No, 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 it's not because of that. What? As that's happening, Zach grabs her purse that she set down on the ground, takes the keys to the van, and chucks them in the water. Oh, that's right. (laughs) I forgot. (laughs) She has no choice. That's their... They are her only mode of transportation. I forgot that. I... I, now that I remember that, I did genuinely think that, like, he was going to take the keys and, like, slowly, like, be like, all right, I'll meet you in the van. And then, like, just drive off. Like, yeah. I had a feeling that he was just going to be like, get in the van. And then they just ditch her at the beach. <laughs> I, lo- I love that he was just like, I don't remember her name. It was, like, Diane or something. He's like, hey, Diane. <sighs> and just, like, chucks the keys in the in the river. Yeah. Well, that happens all... I mean, I mean, he does have his really genuine moving monologue about it. Um, but then also when they're on the boat, when he just... When he calls her out for, like, treating him like an elderly person. And he's just the like... The scene where they basically try drowning the person they're saving. Well, no. He was just like, how long can you hold your breath? Like, just... To... I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. But it, it it's almost like a drowning scene where they're like... I just love where he comes up and he's like, I did it. And they go, no, you got to hold it for longer. And then they just have him go right back down so they can start yelling at each other again. But yeah, this was, this was probably my second favorite scene in the film when he was just like... You're treating him like... Uh, I'll say R word. You're treating him like R word. And he's not. And he's going to keep feeling like that if you keep treating him like that. So... You gotta cut it out. I mean, he said it more eloquently than that, but yeah. I just love that bravement well, that he gave her. The, the, that's the thing I really liked is they both want the exact same thing for him, but their means of giving it to him are incredibly different. And they're both very justified. She's handicapped that, you know, this is what the law and, and you know, medical law says, not only that he needs but what he is and this is the way we get to it and Shia is just like no dude he's a person like just treat him like a human being yeah maybe he has a condition where he can't come to this can't think as quickly or maybe he has or has a condition that alters his behavior to a certain way he's still a human being just let him be a human being yeah there there's no there's not going to be any like growth or uh, and there's going to be risk to, like, his m- own mental health and self-esteem, like, if you don't... Because he is a person, like, and he's not going to feel yeah. like a person or under... or It's going to make him feel like a he has a disability more so. Like, if you keep reminding him every day, every waking moment, like, here, I've got to have to feed you. Okay, it's time to do this. Like, no, treat him like a, like a freaking human. Like... Yeah. I lo- that's Let what- him punch children in the face that are trying to get him to jump on the water. Yeah, or teach him how to swim, or maybe let him go outside every now and then. Like, it was let him let let him chase this crazy. Okay, I I can honestly I can honestly understand because they label him a flight risk. I can get why they don't let him outside that much from the legal standpoint. She labeled him a flight risk right at the start of the movie. Like he because he tries to escape. Well, he wasn't he wasn't until after the first five minutes in the movie, and which, by the way, that was a really clever way to like break out, like when he got yeah. convinced the old lady to choke have, on pudding. Have the one lady fake that she's choking. Yeah, he's smart. He was that was really smart on him. Um, but no, like every everything about that aspect of the film, like I just I kudos to these guys for incorporating that into the story like that was uh and they they did it so so beautifully like uh yeah 
this empowerment of in representation like and, it was it and was, while he's under there holding his breath and the, and uh the two of them are having that conversation he catches a fish with his bare hands oh my god that was just such a great way to cap off that scene so so i don't know uh who all has seen this tv show the in-betweeners it was a british sitcom uh that was out when me and you were in high school so like 2008 ish i'm aware nine ish i'm aware and of it, it went for like three or four seasons the british version is really funny the the version that came to america was really bad um oh did you watch a, it i watched like one or two episodes not even fully um Ooh. but the the american version was bad but i i love the british version and i got the movie a... the movie one of the movies they made was really good and i can't remember if i've seen the second one or not but there's a there's an episode where they go on a trip and one of the guys, like, they all go on a boat, and then, I don't remember why they go on the boat, but they go in the boat, and then they fall in, like, the English Channel, and it's it's England, it's freezing cold, so they strip one guy down to nothing so that he doesn't get hypothermia, and then, for some reason, they're, uh, like, either they're fishing or a fish jumps in their boat, and one kid's like, oh, we gotta put it out of its misery, so he just starts punching it in the head, and then, in this scene where he catches the fish... Uh, Zach catches the fish. They just grab it by the tail and start slamming its head into the raft so that they can kill it and cook it. <laughs> and I leaned over to Dan and I was like, I know this isn't that funny in the context of this movie, but if you've seen this episode, this scene from the Inbetweeners, it is piss your pants hysterical. Oh my god. I got a real quick story before we wrap up the, the end of the film. Um, did you watch the episode of the American Inbetweeners where they went to the theme park? No, but here's the thing. So much of that show was just like scene for scene reshoots of the British one. I'm pretty sure I saw the British episode, but it's been a really long time since I watched that show, too. Oh, okay. I was still in college the last time I saw any episodes of it. Oh, okay. I just not it's not even really that good of a humble brag, but um, me and a bunch of buddies uh, when we were in film school, they were filming the only season of the American version of that show. And um, you can see my leg as an extra in one shot in the, <gasps> yeah, you can see my leg. You're famous and you didn't tell me? I'm, I'm amazed I did, I forgot to tell you about this after the movie, but, um, but yeah, you can see my leg in one shot of that episode and you can clearly see like three of my buddies when they're on, um, I don't know what the coaster's name is in the episode, but, um, they shot it on the Hulk roller coaster. Uh, this was in Universal huh. in Orlando. But no, the person I was standing next to in my scene is when one of the main characters is carrying a car door, and you can see her clearly, and you can, like, kind of see my leg in the shot. Huh, I didn't know that. But no, like, yeah, me and, like, six of my friends all got to spend, if like... I, if I ever watch the American version of that, I'm going to be like, that's Dan's leg! And just yeah. scare anyone I'm watching that with. <laughs> I could, uh, if it's streaming somewhere, I'll try to, try to see if i can find it but uh but yeah no that sounds like an instagram post (laughs) (laughs) yeah you put put the video of when i got engaged and wound up on the news and you can put the video of when you were your leg was in an episode of a tv show that went one season yeah if i remember right i think taika watiti directed the episode um (laughs) that's a weird thing to remember well no he um because he was a part of the show he was a big reason that uh it happened uh uh 
we're going to take two minutes to look this up just because I feel like it, and then we'll wrap up the... Or actually, never mind. I can't spell his name. And we wasted enough time on this, so... <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, anyway. I, let's just get to the tire iron part. So Well, no, no. They, we we, we got to talk, do... talk about the school, too. Like, when they finally find... Uh... Well... Hold on. So they're they're traveling, and the the two guys that have been following them because of what Shia LaBeouf did do find them and burn the raft, and they start they like drag Shia LaBeouf around, and then Zach comes out with the shotgun and basically they basically say uh, he goes hey I did teach him how to shoot you guys better leave right now, and so Shia gets the gun and what I was honestly kind of terrified of is I was actually really scared that this kind of coming of age movie was going to end with Zach getting arrested for shooting those two guys. I was like, please don't do this. Please don't end that way. Um, so they, they leave and then they go find uh, the saltwater redneck. And it turns out he stopped doing that school like 10 years ago. And Charlie was like, hey, um, we came here. Is there any way you can just like wave, wave to him? And so he waves to him and, and the guy's like, I don't, I don't do that anymore. I'm not a, re- I'm not a wrestler anymore. And so the they're like, well, this this guy just lives here. They said that the saltwater redneck moved out a couple years ago. And so they're walking away, and uh, they're all kind of coming to the conclusion that their journey's at its end, and there's not really anything, and they can't really do anything. And Shia LaBeouf feels like he failed him, even though there's no way he could have he could have actually succeeded for him. Um, and then the guy shows up in his beautiful uh, 80s uh, Pontiac Trans Am. Uh, was it that? That and was what that by, was. Uh, yeah, it's like like I said, it's been ten days since you've seen this movie. If it wasn't a Trans Am, it was an '80s Camaro. But I'm, I'm like ninety five percent sure I remember seeing the fire, the flaming chicken on the hood, and I'm pretty sure I saw the Arrowhead logo uh, in the grill. So I'm I'm pretty sure it was a Trans Am. I just it's been such a long time since we saw the movie that I'm not absolutely one hundred percent sure. That's like another five percent sure. That's another that's another mark on the uh, on the bingo squares. Uh, Nick finds out the finds out uh, or knows what the car is. <laughs> hey, at least I'm not breaking down that it's f- f- not fuel injected. It's using a carburetor like I did with Annabelle. <laughs> Nick, right. you're reading too much into it more than the directors did. Well, maybe the directors need to look into it more. Well, maybe they're not that good at directing now, are they? <laughs> maybe if I know what I'm talking about, I should be directing. Uh, but yeah, what if we I, just complain our way into jobs in Hollywood somehow? Like some random Hollywood person's like, "Hey, have you listened to what these people are? These two idiots are saying. Let's give them a job." Yo, I'm down for that. Um, do they have Do they have any idea how to make movies? Nah, but they complain a lot. I Dan does. Dan's got a film degree. <laughs> yeah, Dan's got a film degree. Nick overanalyzes logic to, into the freaking ground. Nick will be the weapons and vehicles specialist. <laughs> um, but yeah, I want to. So then, so I want to comment. He, he I want ca- to comment on. Oh, sorry. Uh, I was just uh, saying. I was just gonna say. I, I wanted to comment on Thomas Hayden Church's performance itself. Like, I loved. I really loved his performance in this. Yeah. Like, it kind of reminded me of like, um, kind of sort of like Mickey Work in the Wrestler. Like the, I mean, he's. Uh, I mean, he's I didn't clearly. Get, I didn't actually see that movie, but I almost leaned over to you and I was like, "What if this ends like the wrestler, where he jumps off the top rope and dies?" <laughs> that that would have been a much different ending than I expected. 
Um, but no, like, in, in terms of, like, I mean, obviously it's not the same character, but, like, it's that same kind of, like, in their twilight. Um, but, I mean, obviously he's already hung up the boots, but um, in the wrestler, Mickey Work still wants to chase his dream. But, um, or at least have the one last rodeo. But, um, but no, like, yeah, when that lady's just like, oh, yeah, he used to be famous out here. And then he's just living in that shack and, like... He's clearly not getting any or worthwhile yeah. residual welcome, money anymore. Welcome to being small town famous in the South. <laughs> yeah, like he's clearly not getting that much residual money anymore or some sort of like a stipend or um what's the what's the pension? Like uh he's just got that car and like that's it. Like Yeah. But yeah, he well, he was but yeah, he's still sweet enough to realize like, eh, I'll throw this kid a bone. I'll he yeah. came on his way out here. Yeah. And the, but but so they get him to train him to be a wrestler. They they're like, well, we got a backyard match and you can wrestle. I don't remember what the guy's name was, but it was something. It, it was like the gigantic man or something like that. Something like that. I can't remember either. And so they're like, all right, well, you can wrestle him. And then so they go to the match and Zach's like, I don't know if I can do it. And Shia LaBeouf's like, just do it. Um, <laughs> You're and, the peanut butter falcon. Yeah. <laughs> actual lines from the movie um do you think maybe that that video was just a screen test for that scene for this movie um <laughs> but so they uh they they start the wrestling match and while they're there one of the guys that knows the two guys that have been chasing shy and zach around goes hey shia labeouf's here and so those guys show up and as Peanut Butter Falcon starts getting his confidence in the ring and is getting ready to fight. Uh, getting ready to fight back. Uh, he he's gonna do oh, what's it called the atomic throw or something like that. Yeah, I think and that's he's right. getting ready to do it and he picks he picks the guy up and he just chucks him and the guy goes sailing like 80 feet. Yo. And I remember when the scene was happening, I leaned over to Dan because as this is happening, the two guys get out of their car and they're running after Shia LaBeouf with a tire iron. Uh, the lady was handcuffed inside the Trans Am, um, but not because she was with Mr. Gray this time. So she's running after, she's like, shy. And so they're running after shy and they get up to swing a tire iron at his head. And then Zach throws the guy and this is all happening in slow motion. I lean over to Dan and I was like, is he going to hit the two of them with that guy? And no, he's not throwing him anywhere near the direction of that guy. Uh, so she, so Shy gets his head caved in. Uh, we're uh, we're left to assume Zach won the match. By the by the and... way, I love that whole set. I love the way that whole thing played out because it did kind of trick you, try to trick you into that like, oh my God, is this how they saved the day? And like, I'm kind of glad it didn't. I'm glad it kind of juxtaposed it where he ended up just throwing that wrestler God knows where. Like, for his big glory moment, and it teased it just like, yeah. this is how the movie ends on a great note, and then, thwack! Nope. Like, <laughs> it would have been it would have been hilarious, though, if he, like, threw the guy, and then he hit the two of them, and then they exploded, because so, it's the atomic throw. Oh, my God. That would have... Man. Like, <laughs> and they explode, like, uh... oh, I don't want to spoiler, never mind. Um... That would have been unexpected, but I would have loved it. <laughs> Nicholas Cage shows up as the doctor, and he's like, I'm sorry, but Shia LaBeouf's head. I'm just imagining. Yeah, it's not working. Oh, I thought you were talking about, like, um, <laughs> I thought you were saying, like, he shows up after the guys explode, and, like, 
just some he just t- puts two fingers on like some part of the pile of like gore and he's like i can't feel a pulse that's no there there's like there's like smoking bloody piles like at the end of ready or not after the people start exploding doctor comes out and he's just like i can't get i can't get a pulse and some guy's just like really you can't get was, a pulse that's from this tr- pile of goo that's why I was trying not to spoil, but yes, that's what was, I was trying to like. <laughs> Dude, Ready or Not came out a week ago. Like, it's fine. Yeah, three, three, what, three weeks now? Actually, yeah. At, yeah, at the time of recording, close to three weeks ago. Yeah, fine. I, yeah, if you didn't see it by now, you're not going to see it, so. If you, yeah, I was say, if you didn't see it by now, you don't want to see it. Yeah. <laughs> but um, it's amazing. Do go see it. And this. Yeah. Um, but they, Great double uh, feature night. <laughs> <laughs> they they conclude they conclude the movie with uh, Shia LaBeouf lives. They uh, they're all in a car together and they arrive in Florida, and that's the end. Well, it it lingers on like the possibility that he did die, and like I I, I was genuinely worried and like oh my god they actually did oh, kill yeah. him off like yeah it honestly it kind of it kind of seemed like they basically set it up really hard to have two endings. And they they chose to go with the ending where he lived because they really set it up like Shia LaBeouf's dead. Well, that was one of my note. That's my only bit of trivia besides they filmed this in Georgia instead of North Carolina. Um, was that um, executive producers asked Michael and Tyler to uh, to have Shia sitting up in the backseat of the car the whole time, and Tyler and Michael immediately were like, "No, we there's so much more power to the reveal like this, like." Because it's already kind of a, like a bittersweet ending where he gets to carry on um, these lessons he learned from Tyler while he and um, Anastasia, whatever her character name was, um, <laughs> drive off to Jupiter, Florida together. But then he sits up and he's fine the whole time. And then it's like, oh, my God, this actually is a happy ending. And like, I mean, I made can it you sound imagine? Re- can you imagine if... Uh... If whatever her name was was something steel in this movie. Oh my god, that'd been funny. That would have made her getting tied up in the in the in the Trans Am a lot different. Would would that would that make her womanhood explode or whatever that stupid line from that thing was? Wait wait what what line? I haven't seen I haven't seen any of the three films. What line? So I've I've not seen any of the three films. Like I've said a million times, um, the nostalgia critic is one of the like biggest influences on me for in terms of like critiquing movies and you know critiquing them while also being silly um and he had a thing he has a thing called like sibling rivalry or something where he reviews the reviews movies with his brother and they did they did sibling rivalries on the whole uh 50 shades of gray series and apparently they both read the books because they would go to conventions and like he would read the book as the nostalgia critic and his brother like his his brother's wife really liked the books. Apparently there was a line in the books that like part of the reason the movies didn't work according to them was the books are ridiculous and it made it hysterical. And she would she used to she said a line along the line in the books along the lines of my womanhood or something like that was about to explode or something. And they never put it in the movies and they're like, the books, the movies don't work because there's not these ridiculous lines every 30 seconds. I see. Interesting. Again, it I takes, never saw any a... of the movies cause I didn't feel like wasting my time at movies. I didn't want to go see. 
And that was before we started doing this podcast, because let me tell you, I've done that so some. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this was not one of them. This movie was fantastic. I cannot recommend it enough. Yeah, um, I I completely. The concur. only the only reason it's not it's not our highest rating is just because I didn't. I got lost on a certain large plot point uh, that I don't think the movie did a good enough job making clear. So, but go see it. It's great. It's really fun. Um, the chemistry between all the all the cast is great, and it's a pretty small cast too. I think you maybe see twenty people tops in the movie, and that's that's including extras. Like there is almost no one in this movie. Yeah, like primarily the film focused on Shia and Zach, um, with Dakota probably coming most, up third. And most of the of that, people yeah. you will see, most of the people you will see in this movie is in the opening shot where he has the old lady pretend to choke so he can try and run away. Yeah, like uh, you will see, you will see over half the people you see in that movie in that scene. Yeah, Bruce Dern is only in those first like fifteen minutes. Um, John Hawks is in maybe like ten total minutes of the film. Uh, John Barathol, I mean, you said it better than I did. He's in like two minutes of the film. It's all flashbacks. Shy, Shy does a really good job of getting like Barenthal's cadence down too. That was something I said to you right when we walked out. Um, is Barenthal, and frankly, it got pointed out whenever he was doing uh, The Walking Dead. He has a certain way of acting where he like tilts his head and then he rubs his head. Um, and he always seems overly emotionally invested in, uh, things like that. Like not overly emotionally invested, but like very emotionally invested and looks like he's trying to figure things out while also thinking he knows everything. Um, Shia LaBeouf nails his mannerisms throughout the movie because once his brother dies, uh, you don't see very much time of the two brothers together, but when his brother dies and you can see that, uh, he's now with Zach and he's trying to be the older brother to Zach. He's trying to be his older brother. That He's trying to kind of be like what his older brother was to him. And he acts exactly like Barenthal. Yeah, I, I picked up a little bit on that. I think you got more from that than I did. I mean, but I'm, I'm sure that there was... I, I, pick, I pick up on behavior in, in movies and stuff like that more than you do usually, too. Well, I mean... So I, I'm, I'm, I'm the guy out of the two of us to pick up on that. Yeah, I mean, and that's kind of given, again, he was on, on screen for, like, three minutes, like... Yeah. But, no, I mean, in terms of, like, casting, it was good casting, because they do look like they could be siblings, I, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I, like I said, I concur. This, I love this movie a lot. This was... Um, sometimes feel-good movies are just kind of sappy and tropey, but, like, yeah. this is this is definitely not. This is, has a very genuinely a genuinely moving story, uh, Zach is phenomenal. Shia LaBeouf, just guys, g- get off, get off the Shia hate train. Like in terms of an act, being an actor, he's awesome. Dakota's got chops too. Um, and yeah, like uh, like I said earlier, um, if it's playing near you, uh, just go find it. I know it might be tricky, but um, it's a hundred percent worth it if you do. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, go. Go see it. Go give it money. It, it's made with a small budget, and it, is, and it deserves to get as much money back on its investment as possible because it was a very good movie. Yes. Can we please, please go see this movie just so we can keep getting more movies like this instead of just more franchises? Because yeah, the rest of the year we have so many franchises we have to talk about. But we want to, I or at least me personally, I want to talk about more films like 
the goldfinch or um i can't think 47 of meters down uncaged yeah oh my god no 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 more no more of those um <laughs> uh but yeah with that uh i mean uh, do you have any other final thoughts i'm 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 all out no that's it all right with that we're gonna take a very brief break and then we will hop into the time machine go into the mid 80s and talk about the kevin costner film bull durham be right back all right everybody welcome back to the show this week for our trip into the time machine it was nick's choice nick let everybody know what we ended up watching i forget what year but we watched bull durham a baseball classic and frankly shows the limitations of kevin costner's acting range I, yes. (laughs) Um, Yeah, the film is Bull Durham. It's from 1988. It is written and directed by Mr. Ron Shelton. Uh, He is most famous for uh, another Kevin Costner film, Tin Cup. Uh, Also, White Men Can't Jump. Uh, He was a co-writer What if Kevin Costner was in White Men Can't Jump? Uh, Woody Harrelson. If he is, he's not the lead. Cause no, no, no. I said, what if he was? I, I know he's not. I'm saying, what if he was? That'd be really funny. Oh, Kevin be... Costner. <laughs> Kevin Costner playing like a late '80s, early '90s urban hip hop like white guy in New York That's... after doing nothing but baseball movies his entire career. Well, I think at that point in his career, he might have turned it down. Or no, that er- well, let's. He probably could have done that film and then. Tin Cup, he did that around the same time that he did uh, Waterworld, like, big budget, like... Um... Oh, Jesus. And, I, um... I, I can't wait to review that for this show. I've never seen it all the way through, but I, some of the clips I've seen is like, why would anyone think this was a good idea? Yeah, I believe I've seen Waterworld all the way through once, very, very, very young. But, so that would more or less be a first for me, also. It was on at your daycare. <laughs> Um, other films Are we going to is... watch Barney or Winnie the Pooh? No, we're going to watch Waterworld. Yay! Why? <laughs> Do you hate us? Um, Kevin Costner, like, try and barter a kid for paper or dirt in that movie or something? Uh, sort of. I, it's not, it's not worth getting into. Let's get... He was, he was like, he was just like, <laughs> they were like, all right, we want to give you water. And then you just hear an inner monologue. He's like, one time when I watched this, uh documentary about mongolians <laughs> <laughs> we gotta sail this ship to mongolia what wait why why are we we just have to trust me there's dogs there yeah <laughs> the dogs are playing baseball and we're gonna race around them also i have to go raise superman yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay well anyway um in addition to tin cup uh, Ron Shelton also wrote uh, Blue Chips, the basketball film with uh, oh uh, Nick Nolte, if you've seen that film. Uh, no, Nick Nolte was in a basketball film? Yeah, he was the coach in that in that movie. Um, what you gotta do is you gotta shoot out the basket. You gotta make it. And if some guy comes over and he tries to get the ball from you, you gotta stab him in the heart. <laughs> Honestly, I would love to watch Blue Chips. Uh, he didn't direct that, but he did direct uh, Tin Cup and um, White Man Can Jump and Bull Durham, which is his directorial debut, interesting hmm. enough. 
Uh, and he got an Oscar nomination for writing the screenplay, best uh, a, original. That's screenplay. a pretty good movie to have as a debut. Like it's, uh, it's really good. Yeah, I, uh, I mean, limited information on IMDb aside, yeah, dude, this was pretty shocking that this was a first film, except for the last third and, I mean, the acting, I'll, I'll agree, is not great acting. Nothing but... will blow you away, other than maybe Susan Sarandon's acting. Yeah, well, well, Susan Sarandon is a goddess among women and men. She's yeah. just a she's a living legend. And I mean, Tim Robbins and Kevin Costner grew into their own kind of legendary status in their own right. Co- so this was really cool Costner, watching them young. Costner's kind of interesting in this movie because it, it, I don't want to I don't want it to seem like there's scenes where he's just on and then there's scenes where he's just off. There's scenes where he's on and off simultaneously. Um, his first scene in the movie where they're kind of describing, uh, I love his introduction, by the way. I love the, who are you? I'm player to be named later. <laughs> I love that. Cause in, in, uh, in baseball, that's a very common trade is, oh, it's for, it's the trade is for these two stars and a player to be named later and cash considerations. Um, so I, I liked that he introduced himself as player to be named later, um, I didn't but mean... when when he finds out when he finds out they're like oh well, um, we uh, we brought you here because we have this pitcher we want you to kind of mentor, and like they're explaining everything and uh, when he finds out that there's really nothing in it for him I I I found it funny that when he gets angry he kind of just like there's he's like really angry like he acts emotionally with his body but then his voice <laughs> he's just like oh i quit I'm like dude you just found out you're there to mentor a kid and there's no real reason for you to be there <laughs> can you please like, try to seem really upset that they're wasting your time i <laughs> he it's interesting like i could tell that he probably had a lot of fun with this role but this role like I kind yeah. of agree. It seems like every now and then, like, it would be like, okay, I guess I'll try on this scene. Versus just like, oh, I'll act in this moment. Like, um, and that's actually pretty fascinating when that little bit of trivia that you just gave us about the, uh, I'm player to be named. I didn't even think of that. That's pretty yeah, interesting. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a very, baseball is really the only sport I've heard it, heard it in. Uh, it's very common that it involves play, a player to be named later. Um, I've not. I, the other sport I think I've heard it in, I think, is football um, or basketball. I've not really heard it in hockey, but granted, I'm not a hockey expert. But, uh, yeah, baseball, that's a very common trade. So I, I always love, uh, like, my favorite Cardinal of all time, Jim Edmonds, was traded. The exact trade was Jim Edmonds for a player to be named later from the San Diego Padres who turned out to be David Freeze, who ended up being like one of the greatest postseason heroes in uh, St. Louis Cardinals history. But yeah, my favorite player of all time was traded for a player to be named later. Gotcha. Uh, well, anyway, uh, since we're talking about the ensemble, um, I mean, we've already kind of sang praises for uh, Susan Sarandon. Um, I just want to note right off the bat, um, just reading the the basic plot summary before going into this. Um, I really didn't know that much about the film to begin with, other than I, I knew Kevin Costner was in it. I forgot Susan Sarandon and Tim Robbins were in this. Um, and I thought, I thought Kevin's character's name was Bull Durham. 
Not that they played for the Durham Bulls. Um, God. But then anyway, tying this back to Susan, um, a fan who falls who has an affair with a minor league baseball player each season meets an up and coming pitcher and the experienced catcher assigned to him. I I kind of took that as just like this was just going to be like a kind of silly rom com, and I mean it is kind of at its core. But it doesn't play out exactly like that. Like the way the way you described it made it sound like it was going to be more like major league. Yeah. Have you have you have you seen that? Uh, that's another one that I've not seen all the way through. I've seen random YouTube clips of Charlie Sheen in it, but um, oh, that that movie is one of my favorite movies I've ever watched. It's so so funny. The well, scene, it's so fun. It, I know it's off track. It, that movie's really funny. I I know that's. That's a part of my ongoing secret shame list. But, um, but yeah, no, went up. So, like, I thought it was going to be, like, just a silly kind of rom-com, uh, just kind of lighthearted and goofy. Like, I appreciate that this film really took its kind of adult thematic material seriously. I'll say it that way. Um, so I wasn't expecting at all for her to be... Uh, I don't try to derogatorily say that she's a nymphomaniac but this whole identity of hers where she is a simultaneous like spiritual coach for players while also using that to also fulfill her own sexual desires i was i was a hundred percent not expecting the character to be like that at all to put it one way if she lived in the time of social media she would constantly be on instagram talking about freeing her mind and how yoga is the ultimate uh, gateway into the soul. She, yeah, she's kind of like... She's she's the, she's that spiritual person where she's just, like, constantly wanting to open people's minds. And also get in their pants. Um. Well, I'm not, I'm not tying, I'm not tying that in with the pants thing. I'm just saying, like, she's, she's very much, you know, I don't want to kind of accept what people... Uh, say I want to expand my mind and think like this. The scene where um, uh, I'm gonna call him Meat because I thought I, that was his best nickname in the movie. Whenever uh, whenever Meat <clears throat> goes over there for the first time and he's trying to just uh, uh, get in bed with her, I liked where she like had him take off his clothes except for his underwear and then tied his wrists above his head on the on the headboard and then just read him poetry all night. <laughs> like, no, I'm in charge. Oh, nuke. I was up up to up to me remembering the scene you're talking about. I was like, what Meeks? Who are you talking about? <laughs> yeah, that's that's what uh uh Crash called him through most of the movie was meat. Oh, meat. Sorry, I thought you were saying something else. Yeah, no, he was I was I was kind of wanting some more payoff for meat other than just that's just what he says to himself like to psych himself up like come on meat give me that cheese or whatever like <laughs> well here's the thing dude he's he's literally the Adam Vinatieri or Brett Favre of minor league baseball he's way older than all of them oh for sure yeah like and the fact that like I kind of I kind of love that. So, in I think they said that at the time I think Durham was a low A team. Um, in baseball, you've got A, Double A, Triple A, and you've got some variations like underneath A, like rookie ball and stuff like that. But 
Uh, low A typically does not have very old players in it. Uh, low A typically has uh, mid to low range draft picks, so they're usually very young, and that's where they kind of get their toes wet. You weed out the guys that can cut it, and you kind of work your way up from there to to double A and triple A. Uh, I thought it was kind of weird when they just called them straight to the majors, but maybe I misheard the movie. Maybe it wasn't a low A team. But um, when uh, they show him and they're like, yeah, he's been in the minors for 12 years and he's approaching being the minor league home run record holder. I was like, and he's in low A? Holy cow. Yeah, honestly, I'm not like, I'm just trying to absorb all of this, like, while watching the movie, like, trying to figure out exactly, like, I got right off the bat, just through context clues, that obviously these are people aspiring to get to the show, but, like, also at the same time, like, I'm trying to pick up and figure out exactly, like, which tier and, like, okay, so each state has their own kind of inner circle circuit, like, all of that was, uh, like... Minor League Baseball in, rec- in like... <laughs> the past couple decades got a lot more um, organized. <laughs> uh, yeah, back in the 80s, it was kind of just all over the place. But then because p- teams learned how to utilize farm systems so well, uh, Major League Baseball and minor league, the Minor League Baseball Associations really worked to get it more kind of formal for themselves um, and set some rules. Gotcha. So back back in like the eighties, it wasn't as super well organized. Okay, I see. Um, I was actually I decided to pull it up just now in real time, and uh, yeah, this actually is uh, loosely inspired by uh, Ron Shelton's previous life, where he was uh, a minor league infielder. Uh, he <laughs> played for uh, the Bluefield Orioles. The Stockton Ports in single A, uh, the Dallas Fort Worth Spurs in double A, and the Rochester Red Wings in triple A from 67 to 71. Hmm. So Rochester is the only team that I've ever heard of out of those. Oh, you haven't heard of any of those besides that one? No, a lot of minor league teams change their names very frequently, change their association with ball clubs frequently, and... Uh, also just kind of ceased to exist. Okay. Um, I actually, li- I actually thought about going to, um, I actually thought about going to a baseball game that, um, out where I live, there's the, uh, the Long Island Ducks. Um, I'm trying to remember who they're associated to. I think they're associated to, um, oh, I can't remember who they're associated to. They, um, or maybe there's not a specific one. I've just looked at their Wikipedia, but uh, but no, I thought about it. But I mean, I just never ended up pulling the trigger on it. But it's like um, Long Island Ducks. Yeah, they um they seem they have, they're pretty good. They just won their division last year. But um, yeah, I've thought about it. I just never pulled the trigger on it. Like to be honest, well, like uh, Mem- my my Cardinals have the Memphis Redbirds who just won the uh, national championship last year for AAA. Oh, nice. Good on them. If only it would translate to major league talent, that'd be great. Isn't the Indians associated <laughs> to the Pirates or something like that? Yeah, the Indianapolis Indians. So where we're from are associated with the uh, with the Pittsburgh Pirates. Okay. Yeah, it's if it's not obvious at all, new listeners uh, or maybe some old, some older listeners too. 
I don't know that much about baseball, like in terms of like the real nitty gritty part of it. So that was part of why I got really excited when Nick wanted to watch like an actual baseball movie and like getting to know that um, it actually is like from a place that knew what it was talking about. So uh, don't feel bad if you kind of got lost in the in the exposition like I did. It's it's not about that. That's just setting. The real focus of the film is this relationship between Tim Robbins and uh, Kevin Costner and the wrench kind of that draws a little bit of tension between them from Susan Sarandon. Um, can we talk about Tim Robbins for a second? We haven't really... Who, did, t- who, did, who is Tim Robbins? He was, he was Nuke. Oh, my God. Dude. Um, that kid needed punched in the mouth. <laughs> how on earth, like... It made me think of, what was it, uh, like a month or two ago where this guy was just bumming around in a baseball cage and just for fun, for social media, he threw in a pitching cage and he hit 95. Oh, the and guy that got signed by Oakland, yeah. That was the team he got signed by. Yeah, it made me think of that because like, yeah. how on earth could Tim Robbins have been signed to this minor league team with how horrendously he throws unless he was throwing That's... like 110 mile an hour pitches? That's not really all that uncommon, especially in low ball. Um, Kevin Costner's um, not description, diagnosis, I guess, of him is is incredibly accurate. Um, it's not that uncommon, especially in low ball, for people to get drafted because they they can just throw hard. And the theory is, if you can get someone that can throw a fastball, you can probably you can probably teach them how to throw a changeup very easily. And if you get them a curveball or a slider in the, into their repertoire, they've got a real shot to be a, a decent starting pitcher and a or a good guy out of the bullpen. So up in the, up in the show or still in the minor leagues? In the show, uh, that because whenever you get some, whenever you get someone, you're not you're thinking of them how they help your major league team. You're not thinking about how they help your minor league system at all. Um, so right now, I mean, this was the eighties right now. The big thing in baseball is velocity is just right now. Pitchers don't know how to pitch. They know how to throw. Um, they just know hit here, throw as fast as possible. They don't actually, not many pitchers understand the nuances of using breaking pitches and off speed to your advantage. They just know, Hey, throw 105. They can't hit it. They don't understand. They don't understand that the baseball is an egg and you have to treat it like an egg. (laughs) You're making fun of that, but I've heard that. Oh no, I'm not. I say that I I do say that lightheartedly because I mean I didn't. I've heard that jargon with um, ways uh, in the sports that I did. Like uh, I was primarily a runner, and I rem- I'll never forget my coach. Um, he made me think of the way like I even like had my hands like when I was figuring out yeah a better arm like motion. You grab he, the rope and pull or something like that. No, he um he told me to like not to like not make a fist while I'm running, like keep my hands loose, but my fingertips kind of close. Like I was holding a potato chip. <laughs> that's a unique way of putting it. Yeah. Um, I, but yeah, I that's, I, that just made me laugh. Cause I was just like, Oh, I've heard coaches say but, silly things like that, <laughs> but they, they exaggerated it for, for comedy. But I, I, I do like at the beginning where they go 18 struck bat or 18 walks. New league record, 18 strikeouts, new league record. And everything he did was a league record in that game. Yeah, for all the wrong um, reasons. <laughs> or good, dude, 18 strikeouts is phenomenal. Oh, I thought you said 18 walks. 
I did. They said he he walked eighteen batters, struck out eighteen batters. Oh, that's what that's all I was commenting on. I forgot he did eighteen strikeouts at the same time. Um, but yeah, I mean they exaggerate his wildness for the movie, but it's not that uncommon to have pitchers, especially in low ball, where like when she when she said he's not uh, he's keeping his back too straight on his follow through, that's a real thing, because what you you want to throw uh, it's a really obvious cliche everyone's heard it since the little league when you throw you want to throw through the person you don't want to throw through to the person and when you keep your back straight you're guiding the pitch and when you guide the pitch you have you either lose speed or if you're trying to throw hard and guide the pitch the ball sails and goes anywhere at once hits the mascot so. in the face hits the <laughs> hits the announcer <laughs> i liked i liked uh that one scene where he goes up to him and he goes hey hit the hit the mascot He's like, what? We finally got me under control. He's like, just do it. I got an idea. And he he hits the mascot. And he's like, he's crazy. Yeah, I don't know where the next pitch is going. You probably don't want to dig in. Yeah, that was that was brilliant. He's he's the adult version of the of the fat kid from a uh, uh, Sandlot, the catcher. Oh right. <laughs> just sits just sits there in jaws with the with the batter the entire time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I. I honestly kind of really loved the chemistry that they had. Like, I mean, it's it's really weird for me to see Tim Robbins in this role because in my head, all I could think of Tim Robbins is um, he's the the adult actor of the kid that um, gets assaulted in uh, Mystic River, and um, I know him from way more dramatic roles than comedic roles. Like, I know he's done co- comedic roles, like. Uh, uh, wasn't he in Zoolander? Didn't he have a cameo in Zoolander? Oh man, I haven't seen that in years. I might be, I might be. Oh, uh, Anchor. No, I'm, I'm thinking Anchorman. Unless he was in both, but um, so like I don't have as much experience with him, like I said, in comedy versus like dramas. But uh, to see him in this and like, I had to keep reminding myself, like, because he was still six seven back then, or however tall he yeah. was. Just like. Which is really tall for a pitcher, by the way. Yeah, I just like six was, four people think they're giants. Yeah, he, I don't know the the, the exaggeration was, I kind of could buy into it. I kind of bought into it more like not when he was like everything that was off the field, like the the cocky attitude and then the, uh, hey, so are we just gonna do it or what? Like, <laughs> like those moments, but like on the field, like. I had to suspend my disbelief a lot personally. Just like, why on earth did you sign this buffoon that like has no trajectory or aim whatsoever? Like, how on earth did this guy get a minor contract? Because he can throw a fastball ninety-five miles an hour without warming up. Yeah, and without and without Facebook to go viral, apparently. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, oh, one thing real quick before. Um, one more thing, the, the only other real, uh, juicy piece of trivia that came, that is, that I found on this, besides it was shot on location, um, was that, did you know that Tim Robbins and Susan Sarandon, uh, this was the film that they first met on, and then later on, were married together. Huh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, they were married until, um, I should have had that up here. They were married for a while, um... They got divorced in, uh, oh, I thought they, oh, they were just, they, never mind. They were just, uh, what would you call it? Like, um, 
<clears throat> long-term couple. But they're oh, all... like they were just together for so long they were technically married? Um, well, yeah, possibly, but, uh, but they were together, quote-unquote, from 1988, right after this film came out, until 2009. Whoa. Yeah, they were. They had a serious long-term relationship. <laughs> I think they were. I, I mean, I shouldn't speak on. I shouldn't speak on terms I don't know. But yeah, no, they were. They were a straight-up like couple, couple, kind of like uh, Helena Bonham Carter and Tim Burton. Um, yeah. How they were tech. I, I believe they were also technically not married, but together for decades. Mm. But yeah, they. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to throw that out there before. Um, what was? Uh, what were you about to say? You were talking about, like, the chemistry of people, uh, and you were also talking about, like, the belief of the authenticity. I will say this. That's very much what playing baseball is like. I played um, I played Little League growing up, um, took a couple years off, but I, I played a decent amount, and then uh, I played one year of high school ball, and then I also play, I played church league softball for a couple years after that. Um, most of the time that you're on the field... The conversation is not about the game. Um, the scene uh, where Kevin Costner visits the mound and he's like, "What are you so worried about, man? Or why are you anxious? You're not, you're not, pit, you're not acting like yourself." He goes, "My dad's in the stands." And then the one guy comes up and he goes, "We can't decide what to get them for their wedding. We don't know where they're registered." And then the one guy comes over and he goes, "Man, we're gonna have to sacrifice like four whole chickens in order." <laughs> In order to get this hex taken off my bat, my girlfriend cursed me or something like that. And then the coach comes out and goes, what's all this about? And then Kevin Costner's just like, his dad's in the stands and we don't know what to get the newlyweds for their wedding. And also we're going to need four, four what? Four whole, four whole live chickens to sacrifice to get rid of the hex that's on his bat. And I was like, okay, this is exaggerated for the joke of the movie, but that's very much the type of conversations you have. Yeah. Like. When I played um, church league softball, we had a when we moved up to Lafayette, we had a pitcher that I got along along with really well, and I could always like make laugh and relax and stuff like that. And he told me if I ever if he started missing and I could tell he got frustrated, he's like, "Hey, just get me to calm down." So like I'd be at first base and he'd throw like two straight balls and I would look and see what his face was, and he would get the ball and turn around to walk back to the to the pitching rubber and I would go hey and then I would just like say something ridiculous to get him to relax, um, yeah it's baseball is funny you stra- you do strategize a lot and it's it's very mental but there's a lot of downtime to just do anything. Well, I mean, they've even said it before. Like, baseball's simple. You throw it, you catch it, and... You hit it. Yeah, you hit and it. And occasionally you run. And sometimes it rains. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I Oh, my God. There's so many, like... There's so many little one-liners in this film I love. Like, um... Uh, like that, and, um... I loved... I, I loved... I laughed so hard on the bus when... Uh, when Tim Robbins was playing the guitar, I don't, I do not know what the song is, but I don't either. How mad Kevin got it! Just like, no, it's this line, not that line, and it's that word, not that word. God, I hate when people sing the song wrong. Like, <laughs> so, so what's funny is I now understand why uh, my favorite hockey movie Goon and why Semi Pro are such good movies. They're just Bull Durham 
with different sports and slight story variations. Yeah, they uh, like it speak to um, well, sort of both of them. It's been a while since I've seen either of them. The uh, uh, what else was um, um, I loved everything involving um, the fact that it would come back up all the time. Like whenever Tim Robbins was uh, the one scene where the hot streak ended, and they're just like, "Hey, what do you think's wrong with him?" Uh, he said he can't breathe through his eyelid. Uh, which eyelid was yeah. it? His right one. Oh, He's he not breathing breathe... through his right eyelid. Yeah, he can't breathe through his eyelid. My my favorite <laughs> line in the movie is is like one of the first jokes when after after Meat is caught having uh, relations with a woman in the locker room, and he goes out to pitch, and the girl goes up and she helps keep helps keep box score. And she also uh, does the radar gun. She goes up there, and the one and Susan Saran is talking to her. And she goes, "All right, so how is he in bed?" And she goes, "Well, he he has sex like he pitches. What do you mean? You see him, you see him throw throw a, a good strike, and then you see him throw a ball eighty feet over anyone's head." And she goes, "He's all over the place." <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was at that point when I realized, like, oh, this movie is gonna, this movie's actually gonna go there. Like, this is definitely a movie straight up about sexuality to certain yeah. extents. Like, ap- I say that, well, after the literal opening monologue of the movie is how she's, how Susan Sarandon she, has she found loves, herself. She, she worships at the Church of Baseball, and and each year she picks one player, and whichever player she picks to have sex with all year they have their best year of their career yeah she found this kind of spiritual power that she blesses with whomever she picks to be her 148 game fling or however many games 142 142 the whatever fling like god it's so it's do you hear me saying that how really really funny that is like yeah God. I liked. Um, I never thought we would see a movie where that was part of the plot. <laughs> well, the thing, one of the things that I thought was funny was when um, the coach, the coach goes, "You're just doing this for a piece of ass," and then she goes, "I'm not some piece of ass," and he goes, "Oh, hey, Millie." <laughs> he sounds so defeated. Well, if you tell my daddy, my daddy might take that scoreboard away. Well, fine. We don't. We haven't. We haven't scored, scored any runs all year. What's the matter? <laughs> I like. I like the scene where Kevin Costner. They like. Uh, the coach is coming. Like, hey, we like the progress you've made with with uh, the rookie, and he's and the one coach is like, but I just they're all like kids, and he goes, you're right, they are like kids. Scare them, and so he just like walks in the shower, throws a bunch of equipment in there, and starts screaming at him for no reason. Yeah. <laughs> It's like whoa, you were you were down at two and you just jumped to ten. You can have, you can ease it's, into the ten. It's very, like, it's very similar to the Brad. It's it's funnier, but it's very similar to the Brad Pitt. Do you know what losing sounds like? Scene from Moneyball. Oh, um, God, you're gonna. It's been, I love that scene. Yeah, Do you remember? You know what scene I'm talking about? I I can't remember offhand. Um, they they started off the year really bad. And Brad Pitt's walking by. Reporters are waiting to go in the locker room, and he hears one of the players turn up the music. And he walks in. One of them's got his shirt off, and his 
uh, pants undone and he's dancing to the song and he just picks up a bat and just smacks the the uh, CD player and the song stops playing and he looks at me and goes get down he goes, he goes is losing fun no well if we're losing this isn't what losing sounds like no music and then he goes you know what losing sounds like and he just like flings the bat and there's a crash and it's complete silence and he goes that's what losing sounds like jeez I really need to rewatch that movie I don't think I've watched it since I saw it when it came out in, what, 2010, 11? Uh, 2011 is when it came out. It came out our freshman year of college. Or maybe maybe I watched it only once since then. It's definitely not been in the last, like, five years, probably. <laughs> I haven't seen it in a year. I watch it quite a bit. I like that movie. Yeah. Oh, God, we miss you, Philip Seymour Hoffman. Um. <laughs> uh, and fat Jonah Hill. What? And fat Jonah Hill. <laughs> Oh, I'm happy Jonah Hill's getting getting in shape. I I don't yeah. mind I don't mind skinny Jonah Hill. Um. That makes me think we're getting another Twenty One Jump Street. I because he always drops weight around the time that they do one of those. Oh, uh, we'll uh, we'll see. I there's uh, that's not worth opening that can of worms. Um, oh, one of the characters I wanted to talk about um, real quick. Uh, you'll have to remind me which specific coach he was, but um, Robert Wool. Um, he was, um, uh, he was the slightly younger of the two coaches. Uh, the one that had, the one that was always spitting. <laughs> uh, it was a baseball movie. Everyone was always, oh, wait. The slightly, you talking about the guy the, that had a dip while they were riding on the bus? Uh, yeah, not the one okay, that was. Okay, I, I know which coach you're talking about. Not, yeah, not the guy that was chain smoking. Um. <laughs> Again, I, it was the 80s and it was a baseball movie. They were all chain smoking. <laughs> Well, I, I remember him not as much. Um, God, again, he's... again, nice to have a movie where the people smoking don't necessarily mean they're the villains. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it's it's just a thing people do. It doesn't mean they're evil. Yeah, no, for sure. I'm just thinking the. Um, you just made me think of the Netflix controversy where they're they're like, there's too much smoking in the new uh, Stranger Things season. It's set in the '80s. Everybody was smoking, bro. Like. It's yeah. not to promote smoking, it's to promote authentic historical accuracy. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, I was just um, uh, kind of like uh, last week where we saw so many just great character actors in uh, Ready or Not. Um, he was another one of those guys with that face that I remember seeing in a lot of other things. Um, do you, uh, if you remember the character Alexander Knox, he was in the Tim Burton Batman um, yeah, he was one of the cops, right? I think so. Um, if I remember, yeah, if I remember right. Um, but no, he worked with um, he's worked he worked with Ron a couple times after this. Uh, he was in Blaze and um, Blue Chips and Cobb, and um, oh, he worked with Kevin. Oh Cos- yeah, he was in Cobb. He worked That's with another bizarre baseball movie. Yeah, and that was also brought to us uh, by Ron. He just directed it. Um, but he, uh, or did he write it? Yeah, he wrote the screenplay too. That's right. Um, I actually haven't seen or heard of this movie, really. What, Cobb? Yeah. Uh, it's, it's pretty interesting. Ty Cobb's one of baseball's most distinct characters. He was incredibly racist and violent. Oh. But he was one of the best baseball players of all time. 
So it's all okay. <laughs> when he when he died, almost no major league baseball veterans showed up. Just people from the, basically just people from the little league, no, like none of his family, no former teammates, no coaches, anything. The only people that really showed up were people from the local little leagues that he donated money to their fields. That's it. Dang. That's. And he's one of the best baseball players of all time. Like, there's a one of my favorite documentaries I've ever seen is a. Uh, Ken Burns' baseball. It's incredibly long, but fantastic. Uh, there's that a segment did, where that he's just talking... described every Ken Burns movie. <laughs> it's it's fantastic. Um, but there's a scene where he's talking about Ty Cobb. Ty Cobb uh, allegedly got called a half African American and uh, reportedly jumped in the stands. And ba- and Ty Cobb was also known to sharpen his cleats. So when he slid into bases, he could spike players and hurt them. Oh, that's uh, He was also one of the most aggressive sliders in baseball history. But he uh, supposedly jumped in the stands and beat the guy and stomped the guy nearly to death and received a, I think, one-game suspension for it. Really? Just one? Yeah. Yeah. See, it is, it is like the tens. <laughs> Yeah, wow. he was a he was a maniac. Interesting. I can see why Ron got brought in to to play or to direct that film. Now I'm curious. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones played him. Oh, that's why I was gonna look up was who played him. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. Oh, nice. I gotta I gotta see that movie streaming. He again. also later in year later in his life was going crazy and allegedly slept with a loaded handgun underneath his pillow at night. No, oh, that's not that. That's not that weird. <laughs> um, anyway, back to this movie though. Um, did you know that the Durham Bulls are a real team? I was I was curious, like amongst last, my amongst my other I questions heard, I had about minor leagues. Like I was curious I don't because know who, they, I don't know who they're associated with now, but the last I heard, they were associated with the Tampa Bay Rays. Okay. But it's no longer like, um, or is it still like uh, they only going within like North Carolina and maybe like branching out uh, very slightly outside of their minor league baseball? Again, I'm not I'm not super well versed in it. I think I think they've moved up because because of Bull Durham, they got so well nationally recognized. I think they moved up. They might be a Triple A ball club now. I believe. Um, so. Uh, I think that's the Texas League and the International League for AAA. So it's it's like the American League and National League. It just goes all over. It's not it's not just Carolina. Okay. I just I figured low, I, low A I think has the Coastal League in it. They ch- they change all the time. It's kind of hard to keep track. Yeah, but I, like I was saying, I I was curious if it was since they actually shot on location all around. Uh, North Carolina, and um, I saw that the one specific stadium was credited. Um, I mean, I don't have that up here anymore, but um, yeah. So yeah, I was curious about that. I mean, especially now knowing that uh, this comes from real experience. Uh, oh, World War Memorial Stadium in Greensboro. Oh yeah, yeah. Did you recognize that when it was on screen? Yeah, uh, it's one of the more famous minor league parks. Parks I've heard of it before. What about the Burlington Athletic Stadium? Never heard of it. Okay, those are the only two specific ones. Um, oh, and Durham Athletic Park. 
Never heard of it. Okay. Yeah, those are the... Oh, la... <laughs> I promise, last one. Um, Fleming Stadium and Wilson. Never heard of it. Oh, okay. <laughs> those are the only ones that are credited. Um, oh. But yeah, that was... Um... I... One thing I thought was funny in this movie, too, is at the beginning when she sends Crash a note, and she's like, you're taking your hips out of your swing. Uh, let's meet at the batting cages. They meet at the batting cages, and she's there to critique his swing and get it fixed. And I just saw her standing there and swinging, and I was like, I found five issues with your swing. Why are you teaching a pro baseball player how to fix their swing? You're, what was it? You're, uh, you're, pulling your her, hips, you're pulling your hips back too early. He's, yeah, he's pulling his hips out of his swing. He's opening up too early. But she's lunging at the ball. Her hand, her uh, fingers aren't pointing in the right direction to get best power. Uh, her elbows are all over the place. She does not transfer her weight very well, and her hips are open. Is it hard to suspend disbelief while watching a baseball movie for you since you're so um, into it in real life? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> it, re- it really is. Like, dude, it's got to be pretty spot on. I was um, I was trying to take note of like um, how Tim Robbins was throwing the ball. He kind of just he kind of looked like if Goofy was trying to throw a baseball to me. Like the, I think I think that's in terms really of how hard. tall he is, though. Well, it's really hard. Pitching is really hard. Pitching with velocity is really hard. But doing it over and over and over again for a movie is incredibly difficult. Um, Charlie Sheen in Major League actually, I think. He had either a college career or he went to the minor leagues right out of college uh, to be a professional pitcher. And his arm strength had dwindled a little bit by the time they did the movie. But they just moved the mound a couple feet closer and and shot like angles in a very specific way to make it look like it was in the right spot. And he threw most of his pitches in that movie and they looked really fast. Tim Robbins in this one, I'm like, all right, that's like 50, 95. Okay, I'll give you that. It's hard to it's hard for a 1980s movie without any kind of special effect to make a ball look like it's going 95. Yeah, the average person's not going to notice. Um, yeah. Same with the average person not probably noticing or caring that that radar gun looked like a freaking blowhorn. Oh my god, that thing was it's huge. The 80s, man. I know. I'm just it saying. It was 80s. Do you have any idea how hard it was to radar anything? Ah, exactly. Like I was thinking when I saw that, I was like, oh my god, like. Because now they just... Um, I thought it was funny that she only radar gunned one pitch. Yeah. <laughs> and they just did all the rest of their data. He's based throwing on 95. One. You're not going to watch all the pitches. You just care about his first pitch. Yeah, you don't want to try to average it out. <laughs> yeah. Um, God, I also... Because you want to get it for a few pitches. Because if he throws a changeup, you want to see what the speed difference is in the pitches. I also want to take note and um, ask you... This is probably just a mascots thing now, but um, the this film's dancing Homer, uh, I I loved him. Just that that old. He was great. They don't. It do... was funny because he's wearing a Mets jersey and it looks like he's wearing a Mo- Montreal Expos hat, and I was like, wow, I haven't seen an Expos hat in years. I like that his number was a question mark. <laughs> yeah. And just the fact that he like that's a job like, and um, that guy was. It's. So minor league baseball is quite a bit different than major league baseball. It is a lot more homey and small towny. Um, it's, you know, it's it's more of hey these guys are kind of in training, like a more kind of formalized training than anything. Um, it's not like the show. 
So I I liked that they they incorporated kind of the goofiness of small small town minor league ball ball team stuff. Yeah. That's funny. Like that just made me think of like uh Homer thinking that like his lifelong dream has actually been been being the the dancing homer for the, the Springfield Adams. Yeah. Like it just made yeah. me think of that. It was just so funny. And that guy, the guy was having a ball with it too. Like I, that scene when Susan's like, "Why do you, why do you keep doing this? Why aren't you just retired?" I, I just love the game so much. Like, yeah. <laughs> I liked. Um... I think I can imagine that being you in the future, but with more teeth. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I liked uh, in the movie the relationship that they give Kevin Costner with with the pitcher. I like not just the chemistry, but I've done that at my job. Um, the customer service role I had, uh, the branches I went to, after a certain point in time, I I became Kevin Costner. I was the one where, hey, it's this person's like brand new to the company. Stick him with Nick so he teach so that he teaches them everything. And I I never really got as bitter as Kevin Costner did with the people I was training, but I was pretty close to as blunt, where I was just like, this is what you do. You don't do this, or you wash out, and you don't you don't amount to anything. Yeah, the the kind of bitter mentor mentee, like um, yeah. Uh, I loved that, like everybody like swarmed around him, just like oh, you were in the show, dude. You were in the show. That that <laughs> scene was the scene from Semi Pro on the bus where uh, I can't remember the actor's name, but he takes off his ring and throws at him and goes, "I want you to have this championship ring because it's the closest you'll ever come to one." Oof. I, it, that scene has, that seems exactly like that like when he goes yeah and they can all throw off speed pitches or they can all uh all throw breaking pitches which you could learn it's like <laughs> he just threw the ring at him this is the exact same scene yeah semi-pro ripped off this entire scene then yeah, they start it, fighting and will ferrell's like everybody love everybody i was there for 21 days and uh all the pitchers are great the stadium's look like cathedrals and my, all the women got long my favorite legs thing he brains. said was in the show you don't have to pick up your own bags people do it for you right that too yeah that was my favorite thing he said i just thought the whole monologue was really funny it was just like not like um it made me think of like um you hear monologues like that all the time in movies where it's just like yeah those are the good old days chugging beers and going to parties didn't matter if you went to class like college man like <laughs> yeah well ba- baseball is the sport where you know you hear athlete like you hear you hear athletes talk about i miss the time with the guys but they usually talk about like i miss game day with the guys well baseball well, pretty much every day is game day so like they live together like oh other sport totally. other sports you hear you know, we bonded. It's a brotherhood, stuff like that. Baseball is the one that, and hockey, and football, or not football, and basketball. Uh, basketball to an extent are the ones where you really bond because of how much time you spend together. Like, oh, for football, sure. Football, you only play once a week. Baseball, you play almost once a day. Well, I mean, you get the you get the practices in with football, but no, yeah. I mean, I get what you're saying though. Like in terms of like literal game day action it's, like you get it's maybe day one day, day off of a week. working towards a win 
Yeah. It's like, all right, we won today. We got to win tomorrow. It's not like football where it's like, all right, we got we got no pads today, and we got, and then we got some team meetings, and then it's okay. Now we got pads in this, and then now we have single walkthrough, and then now it's game day. Baseball, it's like, all right, we won last night. I got to go to batting practice. We got a game. Like it's that every day for yeah. like, nine months. If you make the if you make it to the World Series. And like your only days off are basically travel days. Yeah. Like that's or if you suck enough the uh, All Star break. <laughs> <laughs> it's fa- that's fascinating to me that basketball, baseball, and hockey like go through that, and then only yeah. have what like aren't all don't all of them have like four months off like not not even as long as football like because uh, football's baseball only... spring training typically starts like late mid to late February and then games start in uh early march and then it usually ends right around november so you're looking at like like a three-month turnaround yeah uh hockey the stanley cup ended in like mid-june and preseason starts sometime in like mid-september so that's like what three months basketball basketball never ends because they 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 do the finals, have their draft, and then start summer league like a month later. But mo- not everyone does summer league. But they start their preseason stuff in September or October. Yeah, I mean, but even still, like technically downtime. Like NFL plays the sh- plays the shortest season, has the longest downtime. Which I mean, yeah. I I'm not trying to. I love. It's fo- a much. I- it's. I would say it's a much more brutal sport, but hockey. And and rugby, um, yeah. Just, I'm just talking like the four major sports in America. Yeah, not, we're not here to get into the semantics of all that, because um, this is a movie podcast. And uh, I mean, uh, I I don't really have that much else to really say about it other than like give it a rating. I mean, I think I thought Bull Durham was fun. Um, the acting's a little. I mean, it fits the genre. It's, I mean, it's a little hokey here and there. And um, I honestly kind of, uh, I didn't really buy when it wanted to get super duper serious at the very end. Like, um, it had the, it had the, the sax music, like just, like that ending was really weird because they call him up and there's still like half 20 minutes to half an hour left in the movie. And it's only an hour and a half long, hour and 45 minute long movie. It's got almost one third of the movie left. Yeah, I just, I didn't. Like they, they call him up and it really seems like his goodbyes are going to be like, all right, it's over. And then they keep going for like 15 more minutes. Yeah, it kind of has a false That's my major complaint with the movie is it's not so much like you're sitting there like, oh my gosh, just end. But the, but the way the ending starts makes you think it should end sooner than it does. It really hammers in, like, that basic structure of a story where there's, like, climax, falling action, and then it just keeps doing falling action, falling action, falling action, just finally conclude. Like, yeah. like when it transitions into that, like... And it's a problem I have with a lot of ro- romantic comedies it, is, like... it's It honestly comes across like they may, they just put the alternate ending in the movie. Like, I can't... I don't buy any of the emotional payoff, if you can call it that, that they want to have. Like, 
Tim Robbins gets to ride off into the sunset as a Yankee, and then Kevin Costner lets go of baseball, but then as a player, but then wants to pursue being a manager, and then Susan Sarandon uh, hangs up her cleats uh, or her boots, let's say, and um, and decides to just be a housewife. Oh yeah, that too. (laughs) And she just wants to she wants to go off with Kevin Costner, like. Narratively, I kind of like that in writing, but like the way it's executed in the film is just like it. Yeah, just, it just made me roll my. It just made me roll my eyes, and I was just like, I don't. For a movie that was this silly and fun, like yeah, it's kind of like the. It kind of reminds me of Love and Other Drugs, where like the whole first half of the film is really, really, really funny with Anne Hathaway and Jake Gyllenhaal, but then. When the serious thing happens, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody and you, assuming you haven't seen it. Is Something, it drugs? Uh, drugs are needed in a bad way. Um, I'll put it that way. Something super serious happens to one of the characters, and it stops being funny. And the literal second half of the film is just like, holy crap, melodramatic drama. And it just is <laughs> such a jarring shift. Like literally watching two movies like this isn't that bad at all i'm still giving this a a solid full pan um i'm just not gonna put i give i give it a full pan too yeah i'm just not gonna put sprinkles on it just because like like i said like some of it's kind of too hokey and uh the acting's just decent and then like i said it was on the verge it was on the verge for me basically the entire time but the ending is done poorly enough that i'm like you know what it's it's not it's not sprinkles. Yeah, it just I it's it doesn't ruin it though, but it's definitely like just it's just kind of clunky how the ending happens, and I just yeah it doesn't ruin it though. I I that ensemble is still pretty good. Uh, yeah. For what I mean for for what it is more or less, and I'm glad I've seen this movie now, so I can finally yeah. so I finally now know that Kevin Costner's was not. Uh, his character was not named Bull Durham. That's just where it took place. <laughs> I can only imagine someone actually naming their kid Bull. Yeah. Uh, and that's just the first of, what, five more movies we have to see now to see all of Kevin Costner's baseball films? Yeah. Waterworld is also a baseball movie. So is Mr. Brooks and... Um... Man of Steel. <laughs> Because Bruce Wayne wears a Kansas City Royals shirt, or not Bruce Wayne, uh, Clark Kent wears a Kansas City Royals shirt in that movie, baseball well, movie. Well, of course. <laughs> oh my God. Um, oh, isn't Wyatt Earp a baseball film too? <laughs> oh Jesus! Someone hits a ball in the air, and he's like, "You're gonna get out, and we need him to not get out." So he just shoots it while it's in the air with a gun. <laughs> he's just, and he's like, "Fastest gun in the West." In the Postman, there's a lot of baseball in the Postman. <laughs> Riding around, riding a horse around with a baseball bat in your hand does not make it a baseball movie. <laughs> just like taking out mailboxes. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. Well, I mean, that's all I got. On wait, this. wait, 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 wait. What? We forgot something. What? If Nicolas Cage were to be put in this movie, who would he play? Oh, I was just imagining Nick Cage going, yeah, he's going to throw a fastball. When you talk nice about me, be extra nice. <laughs> I would say replace Susan Sarandon with Nicolas Cage just for the laughs, but 
really they should have replaced the rookie the rookie with him just so he could be like i want to announce my presence with authority oh i, I thought i'm the hater i thought <laughs> i thought you're like ta- that one scene i thought you were talking about nick cage playing the christian guy where he's just like have you accepted jesus christ as lord Can I tell and you my testimony <laughs> have you accepted jesus as your lord and savior I love that when she goes, how long were you guys together before he proposed? About five hours. Yeah. Nick Cage could have been a good You want to know what my favorite line in the movie is? I just remembered now. What? It's when Millie's going around introducing herself to the new player. She goes, hi, I'm Millie. And the one guy goes, hi, I'm married. (laughs) And she just walks away. Yeah, I noticed that too. She was all sweet with everybody, but then she gets to that guy and she's just like, Eh. <laughs> uh, well, with that, I mean, you want to head back to 2019? Yeah. Word. We are going to take a very we gotta brief break. We're going to go see a documentary about Mongolians. <laughs> with that, we're going to take a very brief break, go back to 2019, and let you know what we got coming up next week. All right, everybody, that is it for another episode of Brownie Points. Uh, big thanks to Isla Marf and a few gay for the music, as always. Um, sorry I didn't uh, give you a shout-out last week, but uh, thanks, as always, for the music. Next week, Nick and I, once again, are only going to one movie, but it's going to be worth it. Ha-ha. Cause the we big are... one. <laughs> so we're going to be watching It Chapter 2. It's finally coming out. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm so excited for it. Um, God, so pumped. Yeah, we we've been waiting for this for a very, very, very long time. And then for the time machine, we are only going to be going to 1974. No, that's wrong. We're going to be going to 1976. Uh, Sorry about that. And <laughs> <laughs> we're going to we're going to watch another sports film. But this one won Best Picture and stars Sylvester Stallone. We're going to watch Rocky 1. And my aff- as per my aforementioned Secret Shame list, I've never seen Rocky 1. So Same. <laughs> yeah, as, as embarrassing as it is to say. We're going to remedy this problem next week by watching Rocky 1. It's on Netflix and Amazon Prime, at least as of this taping. Uh, in addition to watching It Chapter 2. Uh, Nick, do you want to tell everybody where they can reach out to us? Yeah, uh, check out our brand new Instagram page, brownie underscore points underscore cinema. I think that's what it is. If not, um, the best way to tell it's us is the show logo. It's the bowl of popcorn with a brownie in it. We also have a Facebook page and a Twitter. Uh, Twitter is at brownie underscore cinema. And Facebook is Brownie Points Guide to Cinema. Once again, same logo for the uh, profile pictures. Uh, just give us a like, follow, tweet, whatever uh, fits the platform. We also have a uh, email address, Brownie Points Guide to Cinema at gmail.com. Send us messages of things you want us to review, uh, op-ed points you think we should do, time machine ideas, uh, just discussion points, things like that. Um, Brownie bites, all that, all that fun stuff. <laughs> yep, and if you are listening to us but have not subscribed, 
Uh, what are you doing? Hit that subscribe button. Leave us a review. Give us a few stars. However many you think we deserve. We are on... Do it now. <laughs> We're on Anchor.com. We're also on Apple Music, or Apple Podcasts, uh, sorry, and uh, Spotify, Google Play. Uh, just spread the word, let the people know that we're out there, and uh, if you like us, just uh, tell other people that they'll probably like us too, because uh, we love our little community that we have, but we're always optimistic and welcoming to anybody and everybody that wants to give us a listen send us some emails, just interact with us on social media. We, we love movies. We know if you're listening to us, you love movies too. So yeah, just, uh, we appreciate all of you that are there and we are looking forward to many, many more people in the future, just joining in on the fun with us. And with that, we will be back for it. Chapter two and Rocky one. We will see you then incredibly cunning thing. And if some guy comes over and he tries to get the ball from you, you gotta stab him in the heart!